Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 67. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you are not paying attention. Our nation is witnessing a merciless campaign to wipe out our history, defame our heroes, erase our values, and indoctrinate our children. He's right. President Mayhem is right. You won't hear me say that often, but he's right. Our nation is witnessing a merciless campaign to wipe out our history, defame our heroes, erase our values, and indoctrinate our children. By him, he is attempting to wipe out a history of tolerance, diversity, and leadership. He is defaming our heroes. He leaves them to be murdered via bounties from Russia. He leaves them to die in nursing homes. He disrespects them and drives them out of the military, like he did this week with Lieutenant Colonel Alex Vindman. He is erasing our values, closing our borders to immigrants, celebrating racists, defending military bases named after traitors. He is indoctrinating our children, telling them immigrants and Muslims are our enemies, that the press is the enemy of the people, that schools must be opened, even if they make people sick, that there's only one way to respect the flag, and that only he can save us. It's all bullshit. But America's over it. Finally. America's over it. Most Americans aren't stupid. They may be slow, but they're not stupid. And they're not buying his bullshit anymore. They won't play ball anymore. They won't play ball with the hatred, the racism, the stupidity. And July has been the tipping point month in the most important summer of our lifetime. July 2020 will be remembered by history as the time the bottom dropped out for Trump, the time the pandemic blew up and hit the red states, the time he held reckless, crazy rallies that became coronavirus super spreader events. The time he did that fucked up 4th of July speech at Mount Rushmore. The time the news broke that the Russians were paying bounties to kill American troops and he did nothing. The time that his using bets as guinea pigs for his coronavirus snake oil finally got national attention. The time that he pushed to reopen schools and restart sports as the pandemic raged. And July 2020 will also be the time that baseball returned, basketball returned, and Major League Soccer returned. July 2020 is the time to play ball again. And July 2020 is the time that Trump's failed leadership allowed the coronavirus to kill sports as we know it in America. Baseball's back. Sort of. Teams have started spring training or summer camp, and games are scheduled to start on July 23rd with a prime time doubleheader. In the first game of the doubleheader, my New York Yankees visit the defending champion Washington Nationals. The second game pits the San Francisco Giants against the LA Dodgers. So, all across the majors, once again, we're hearing that call to arms that so many of us know and love. Play ball! But just as Trump's failed leadership 
has shattered our economy, ravaged our health, and endangered our national security, it's on course to wreck our sports, too. Because while baseball is opening, and the NBA is trying to do the same, and football is hoping to follow, like so many other things in America right now, it's a shell of what it used to be. There are no fans in the stands, rules are adjusted to limit physical contact, and baseball's been reduced to a 60-game season, which maybe is the only good part. But sports is happening because so many people want it, and because there's money being lost, and because Trump and others are pushing. Sports aren't back because we've got control of the virus, or because it'll keep us safe, or because it's the smart thing to do. Americans are not stupid, generally, but they're also not patient. And Major League Baseball, the NBA, and soon the NFL, and many other professional sports leagues are pushing forward. But it's not the smart thing to do. And many players know it and are sounding off. Here's Washington Nationals relief pitcher Sean Doolittle. It does like bring to mind kind of where we're at um, in our response to this as a country. Like we're trying to bring baseball back in a, in a, during a pandemic that's killed 130,000 people. We're way worse off in a, as a country than where we were in March when we shut this thing down. And like, look at where other developed countries are in their response to this. We haven't done any of the things that other countries have done to bring sports back. Sports are like the reward of a functioning society, a, a functional society. And we're just like trying to just bring it back, even though we've taken none of the steps to have to, to flatten the curve or whatever you want to say to like, we did flatten the curve for a little bit, but we didn't use that time to do anything productive. We just opened back up for Memorial Day. We decided we're done with it. Like, if there aren't sports, it's going to be because people are not wearing masks because the response to this has been so politicized. Like, we need help from the people, from the general public. If they want to watch baseball, like, please wear a mask. Like, social distance. Keep washing your hands. Like, we can't just have virus fatigue and think it's been like, well, it's been four months. Like, we're over it. This has been enough time, right? We've waited long enough. Like, shouldn't sports come back now? No, there's things we have to do in order to bring the stuff back. So, like, and now you want to bring fans back? I mean, I don't know. Is that safe? I'm not a public health expert, but, like, we should probably re defer to them on some of these issues. Um, so, I, I don't know. I Like, I don't know if it's safe or not. I really don't know. But, like, that doesn't seem like something that, um, I don't know if that feels like a good idea or not. I really, I don't know. He's right. And he feels it. Sports are the reward of a functioning society. I love this guy. And if D.C. becomes a state one day, I campaign for him to become one of the senators. If not him, maybe Susan Rice, who joined us on this podcast earlier this year, or David Aldridge from The Athletic. He's also from D.C., a big supporter of D.C. statehood. And they're both big-time players. And so is Doolittle. He's a two-time All-Star with a World Series ring who's not afraid to speak out for what he believes in and thinks is right. After the Nats won the World Series last year, he refused to go to the White House and meet with President Mayhem. He's a strong supporter of gay rights and equality, and he cited his connection with his wife's two mothers. He said, I want to show support for them. 
I think it's an important part of allyship, and I don't want to turn my back on them. He's been an advocate for many good causes, and he's speaking out again now. Doolittle's wife has asthma and is considered high risk. She's not with him and staying nearby at a friend's house. Other players are sitting out the shortened season entirely. Mike Trout, the biggest star in the game, has a wife with a baby on the way, and he's not sure he's going to play the entire 2020 season. He said, quote, honestly, I don't feel that comfortable. And many players feel the same way. Some players have already decided to skip the season entirely. Ian Desmond, Mike Leake, Ryan Zimmerman, Joe Ross, and others are likely to follow. Some are more cavalier, especially those without kids or without someone at risk near them. But this is a war against the virus. And just like in any war, it's easy to be cavalier until the bullets start flying at you. And about the same time Doolittle's comments happened, the Washington Nationals revealed that two Nats players tested positive for coronavirus. And according to MLB's most recent numbers, 31 players and eight staff members from 19 teams out of about 3,000 samples tested positive, including a number of notable players like Atlanta Braves first baseman Freddie Freeman and San Diego Padres outfielder Tommy Pham. And 38 states all across America are seeing an increase in cases right now, most notably Florida, Arizona, California, Texas. Those states are home to a combined 10 Major League Baseball teams. So it's only been a week, and it's already looking like a shit show. And basketball hasn't even started yet. The NBA is planning to resume its regular season and then playoffs in what they're calling a bubble in Disney World in Florida on July 30th. But there's a big problem beyond the fact that Florida is the new epicenter. An increasing number of players don't really seem very interested in being guinea pigs in this experiment. At first, the successions were a trickle. Now, they're picking up steam. Victor Oladipo of the Pacers, DeAndre Jordan of the Nets, Davis Bertrand of the Wizards, Trevor Ariza of the Trailblazers, and Avery Bradley of the Lakers, whose son has struggled with respiratory diseases, Bradley Beal of the Wizards, and Spencer Dinwiddie of the Nets, who tested positive himself. All these guys are sitting out, with likely more on the way soon. So basketball might be steaming to a traveling call. And football. Football could be a massive mess. Jim Harbaugh, the always controversial coach of the Michigan Wolverines football team, and a guy who's already on thin ice after never beating Ohio State, is on thin ice once again, because he said this week, quote, COVID is part of our society. It wasn't caused by football or caused by sports. There's no expert view right now that I'm aware of that sports is going to make that worse. Really? Just a bit outside. I played football. I didn't play at Michigan, but I played football. And tackling, pushing, shoving, breathing on, around each other. Maybe only rugby would be a more perfect sport for spreading the coronavirus simply because there's no face masks. But football could be a disaster. I want sports back too. But the reopening of sports in America is more than just a great experiment. It's a public health gamble. Sports are the reward of a functioning society. That's what Doolittle said, and Doolittle's right. And we don't deserve that reward. As much as it pains me, as a lover of sports, we don't deserve it, because we're not ready yet. Sports are about teamwork. So is America. If you don't have teamwork in sports, you lose. If you don't have teamwork in America, we all lose. And right now, 
we're all losing. We're losing badly. We're the 2017 Cleveland Browns. We're the 2019 Baltimore Orioles. We're the New York Knicks every damn year. We're not winning. We're losing. And it's time to look at and listen to our athletes for how to work together and get it together. Athletes are probably too often held up as role models. But right now, more than any other time in our lifetime, athletes can show America the way, the way forward on the virus, on systemic racism, on unity in the face of and after Trump. And as sports attempts to restart all across America, the intersection of sports and politics has never been more clear. And the stakes have never been higher. From Kaepernick and the national anthem, to whether or not to restart in a pandemic, to the renaming of teams with racist mascots, it's all slamming together like a goal line stand, with America's future as the ball carrier. And we'll get into all of it with one of the most dynamic and up-and-coming stars in the world of sports media, a clutch player in her own right. Joy Taylor is the co-host of The Herd with Colin Cowherd, the massively popular and influential daily show on Fox Sports 1. Joy was also the moderator slash referee slash voice of reason on Fox Sports 1's Skip and Shannon, undisputed with Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. That's back when I met her and the host of her own podcast, Maybe I'm Crazy, with Joy Taylor. She's a leader in that arena daily, breaking down the latest sports news and controversies, and also the latest political intersections, which are now daily. Joy comes from a military family and is a longtime supporter of the military, vets, and a number of good causes. That's how we met years ago. And if you ever heard Joy, you'd know she doesn't hold back. It's a candid, fresh, and fun conversation with one of the most interesting and dynamic voices in sports. I feel like people have gotten to this space where they think they're going to be judged if they get new information and then change their opinion. It's like you're compromising who you are or something, or like you're weak or you're soft because you're like, oh, I know this now. Well, I no longer feel this way. It's insane to me that people think that way. I don't, I don't understand it. It's not cute. It's not attractive. I don't know who told you it was. You are not an intelligent person. If you can be presented with a fact, okay, and you see the fact, you touch the fact, this is a fact, right? And you say, well, I see this, but I'm going to choose to continue with the opinion that I had before I, before I experienced the fact because, you know, that's just, that's just what I want to do. So Joy Taylor is the perfect guest to take us into the restart of sports this summer. The boys of summer are back. Baseball is back. For now. But America is way behind. It's the late innings, and we're down big. But we can still come back. America can make a comeback. But we've got a hell of a hole to dig out of. So tighten up your cleats and take a walk out onto the field. We're going to need your very best performance. We're going to need to dig down deep. And we're going to need some serious teamwork. And we're going to need every player in the game. Baseball is the great American pastime. But for the next few months, fighting the virus better become the great American pastime. So before pitches start flying, before bats start cracking, and before the socially distant slides start sliding, and before our conversation with the always fun and entertaining Joy Taylor 
And before I share some news about my potential new co-host and some very special support we got from a rock and roll legend, there are some issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry and ready to stand up and scream. Charge! And it starts with that relief pitcher that just keeps smoking our hitters. The knuckleballer that our slow-swinging president just can't hit. The murderer's row of our 2020. The pandemic. The summer of our three storms crashing across America continues to intensify. The virus. The protests and change after the George Floyd murder. The 2020 election. The three storms are bringing the heat like a Mariano Rivera fastball. And at the top of that batting order, our leadoff hitter, moving with the speed and efficiency of Ricky Henderson, is, of course, the pandemic. And the pandemic is on a tear. There are now over 12 million cases worldwide. That's more than the entire population of Belgium, Tunisia, or Rwanda. And over 548,000 people have died. That's almost equal to the entire population of the entire country of Luxembourg. And the impacts are spreading out in new and painful ways. Oxfam says that 122 million people could go hungry this year because of the pandemic, warning that up to 12,000 people could die every day from hunger linked to the social and economic impacts of the disease. And spikes are happening all across the country. Australia, Slovakia, Japan, and Nigeria are all seeing huge jumps. Mexico posted a record for new coronavirus cases reported in a single day with almost 7,000 infections. And they're passing Spain to register on the world's eighth highest case count. That's according to Reuters. And India gets the dubious distinction of most improved player on this list, jumping to number three, past Russia and behind only the U.S. and Brazil now. India is reporting nearly 25,000 new coronavirus infections daily. The world's third worst affected country has more than 767,000 people confirmed as testing positive, and more than 21,000 have died. Peru and Chile have now also jumped to the top of the global leaderboard, ahead of the UK, Spain, Iran, and Italy. And Brazil has still got all kinds of problems. And now their president... Bolsonaro has tested positive himself for COVID-19. We've covered him before. He's like the Trump of Brazil. And it was only a matter of time, given his exposure and dismissive attitude. It's probably true of Trump and his entire inner circle, too. But as sports return in America, we remain the world champion of coronavirus failure. Thanks to President Mayhem, who was once the owner of the New Jersey Generals of the failed United States Football League, the USFL, and a wide range of national and local leadership failures, America remains at the top of the worst scoreboard in the world. The U.S. continues to have the world's highest number of COVID cases. Now over 3 million, a quarter of the cases in the world are in the U.S., 
more than the population of every city in America except for L.A. and New York. And now we're closing in on L.A. and we'll likely pass it before this shortened baseball season is over. The U.S. also set another record for new cases with more than 59,000. This while 134,000 Americans are dead. And the number of Americans dead is equal to the entire population of Hampton, Virginia, or Gainesville, Florida. And speaking of Florida, it's on now. The Florida Marlins aren't winning, but the state is, unfortunately. Florida is now the global epicenter of the latest coronavirus surge, also raising questions about the safety of all the major events that relocated to the state, like the NBA. Remember, as coronavirus cases surged through much of the Northeast in April and May, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was declaring victory. And now he said that all Florida public schools are required to reopen their campuses in August. Required. That's what they said. The schools are required to reopen their campuses in August next month. This from the same idiots who brought you all teachers should be armed with guns. And speaking of guns, down in Texas, they surpassed 10,000 confirmed new coronavirus cases in a single day for the first time. Arizona is also deep in it, with their intensive care units at 90% capacity. So from the land of the Dodgers to the home of the Braves, people are getting the virus, including Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, who just a few weeks ago was out in front leading the charge for Atlanta and standing with Killer Mike. She's also considered to be a finalist for Biden's VP pick. And she talked to our friend Chris Cuomo to break the news. We tested positive. One child has tested positive. So, um, you know, hopefully it won't get much worse than this. Uh, My symptoms have been like my seasonal allergy symptoms. I've had a headache the past few days and uh, just, you know, a little dry cough. But that's not unusual because I, I have that with my allergies. Um, which are just about year-round in Atlanta. And my husband literally has been asleep since Thursday. She's a leader who's been smart about things and trying to protect the people she serves. And now she's another example herself. Nobody's safe from this. From the time the pandemic started, I've told you, there are two kinds of leaders at the local level. One, the kind that are trying to contain and defeat the virus and win the war. And two, a second group, that's trying to kill the rest of us. And that includes people like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And the coronavirus isn't slowing down for the summer, like Trump said it would. The opposite. It's like the Bash Brothers of pandemics, hit after hit after hit. And it keeps picking up steam. It's on a hitting streak longer than Joe DiMaggio. It's spreading west and south, and its spread is only surpassed by one thing. The stupid. The stupid continues to spread with the quickness. And it's now going deep into minor markets, the towns and cities where there's no big league baseball, but lots of minor league action, or at least there used to be. The Tulsa Drillers are a minor league baseball team based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The team plays in the Texas League, and it's a double-A affiliate of the L.A. Dodgers. And it's shut down like a lot of Tulsa, because we just found out that Trump's campaign rally in Tulsa last month and the protests that accompanied it likely contributed to a dramatic surge in coronavirus cases. Tulsa County had a one-day record high, 261 new cases this week. They didn't listen. I tried to warn them. (laughs) 
Tulsa public health officials have said that the large gatherings more than likely contributed to the spike. Yeah, no shit. And to double down on the stupid, Trump is now pushing not just to continue indoor rallies, but now he's pushing to open schools. We want to reopen the schools. Uh, Everybody wants it. The moms want it. The dads want it. The kids want it. It's time to do it. The moms want it. The dads want it. The kids want it. Now, you know that's bullshit. What kids want it? Not too many. And even the parents that do want to know the plan. And they have one, right? Well, let's ask the king of political strikeouts himself, Mike Pence. What's the plan? What's the administration's specific plan in terms of increased testing, contact tracing, increased PPE if it's needed to support these schools? As you well know, schools weren't built for students to socially distance. They were built to pack in as many kids as humanly possible, which is one of the reasons why school districts like Fairfax, Virginia, the school district in New York or Texas, they have moved to this hybrid approach, some virtual learning, some in-person learning. So what's, what's the plan? And then I have a question for Dr. Burks about kids and COVID, if I may. Well, the plan is to continue to do what we have done from the very beginning. Continue what you've done from the beginning? That's reassuring because the beginning went so well. And in contrast, a candidate for MVP this season, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, and a guy who hits everything thrown at him, had this extra base hit of a response. I heard the president speak uh, yesterday and uh, what he was tweeting about today on schools. And look, uh, this is getting a little old as far as I'm concerned. And I heard what the president said on schools, but uh, this has been there, done that, right? Uh, School reopenings are a state decision, period. Uh, That is the law, and uh, that is uh, the the way we're going to proceed. Uh, It's not up to the president of the United States. There is something called the Constitution that guides government power. Uh, And then there are a series of laws that are based on that constitution. And the president does not have the authority to open schools. In the late innings, you want a guy in the mound who can deliver. And Cuomo is that guy a hell of a lot more than Pence. And not just because he's a Yankee fan. And more on the Yankees coming up with Joy Taylor. I also get her prediction on who she thinks will win the World Series, if there is one. But if there is... There'll be no spitting, chewing of tobacco or sunflower seeds or any combination thereof. And the ball will be thrown out once it's been touched by multiple players, as if baseball wasn't slow enough already. But Trump is pushing to open schools in New York and Texas and California, everywhere. And he's pushing to start sports. But the smartest sports league in America has a different view. The Ivy League has made a big move, one that others might follow. So if you were hoping to attend the Harvard-Yale game this November... Bad news. The Ivy League has made a big decision. The Ivy League has completely ruled out playing all sports this fall due to the coronavirus pandemic. The Ivy League announced that it has ruled out playing all sports this fall, becoming the first Division I conference to say it will not hold sports that semester because of the pandemic. No decision has been made yet about winter or spring Ivy League sports or whether fall sports could be played in the spring of 2021. 
but this could be the first of many leagues that don't need the money and can prioritize the health of their players and community. I'd look for the Patriot League and the NESCAC to follow soon. And I go deep into this coming up with Joy Taylor. We talk about what sports are best positioned to reopen and if they'll all just end up shutting down this year in the end anyway. I think the doors are going to be opening and closing all year long. And the virus is closing in on Trump. The count is full. And he keeps fouling off pitches. But sooner or later, he's going down. Batter up. The virus is closing in on him. A personal valet who served Trump as food and the press secretary for Vice President Mike Pence tested positive for the virus in May. It's closing in on him. Then Herman Cain got the virus. It's closing in on him. And then Kimberly Guilfoyle, the girlfriend of President Trump's oldest son and a top fundraising official for the re-election campaign, tested positive for the virus before the big 4th of July event at Mount Rushmore. It's closing in on him. Closer and closer and closer. And it's closing in on others. They can't spin out of it any more than the captain of the Titanic could spin out of reality. Which brings me to something I saw online this week that really broke it down. It's called If People Today Were on the Titanic by a guy named Matt Bouchelle, who's a comedian and songwriter. Check this out. Not going to wear a life jacket. I, don't, I can't move my arms when I'm wearing the life jacket, and it makes me look kind of kind of girly. The thing is, I have a constitutional right to not wear the life jacket. Where's the iceberg from? Where did the iceberg come from? I think we need to make it, make it come from a country and make it racist. It's actually only bad where the iceberg hit the boat. Everything else is fine. Like, my area of the boat is safe. Don't you think it's weird? Don't you think it's a little weird that it's an election year and we're talking about an iceberg? Who set this up? Why are we talking about an iceberg in an election year? I'm just saying we wouldn't talk about it as much if it wasn't an election year. Heard the iceberg is a democratic hoax. I don't know if you read anything about that. First it was life jackets, now we gotta get in the lifeboats. It's weird you keep contradicting yourself. Oh, a lifeboat will save my life. That's an interesting way to look at it, but I have a card I will show you right now where my doctor says I don't have to get in a lifeboat. You guys can do what you wanna do. I'll do what I wanna do, we'll see what happens. Oh, I'm drowning now? You're saying I'm drowning and I'm gonna die. Okay, all right, well. Why didn't anyone, why isn't anyone taking this more seriously? People should take this more seriously. Yep. People should take this more seriously because it ain't going away. It's a fastball heading straight for our heads. Either you duck or you pray your helmet's strong enough to take it. But if it isn't and you don't, it'll be a fastball in the face of America and it'll hurt. It'll hurt bad. And the last thing we need right now is more pain. We've had enough pain this summer. Far too many of our brothers and sisters are on the injured reserve list. And far too many of our brothers and sisters are hurting. And much of it is due to President Mayhem, who continues to make things worse every day, in every way, fanning the burning flames of the second firestorm that continues to burn all across America. The civil unrest, protests, tension continue nationwide, from Dodger Stadium to Wrigley Field to Camden Yards. And the Black Lives Matter movement is on a tear. It's not batting a thousand, but it's definitely over 300 and headed into Hall of Fame territory. More and more cities are painting Black Lives Matter on the streets, statues are coming down, and change is happening, even in NASCAR. Change is happening almost everywhere, except with Trump, who this week, doubling down on his racist crap, 
attack Bubba Wallace after all the recent controversy. Donald Trump decided to call out Bubba Wallace, the only African-American driver in NASCAR, alleging that the noose found last month in his garage at Talladega was a hoax. And he questioned NASCAR's decision to ban the Confederate flag from the sport. Trump tweeted, Has Bubba Wallace apologized to all these great NASCAR drivers and officials who came to his aid, stood by his side, and were willing to sacrifice everything for him, only to find out that the whole thing was just another hoax? That and flag decision has caused lowest ratings ever. Well, he's wrong about Bubba Wallace, he's wrong about the flag, and he's wrong about the ratings. This might be the best thing to grow the NASCAR audience in a decade. And Bubba Wallace continues to be a fighter. He fired back at Trump and wrote a tweet saying, to the next generation and little ones following in my footsteps, your words and actions will always be held to a higher standard than others. You have to be prepared for that. You don't learn these things in school. You learn them from the trials and tribulations, the ups and downs this crazy world provides. You'll always have people testing you, seeing if they can knock you off your pedestal. I encourage you to keep your head high and walk proudly on the path you've chosen. Never let anybody tell you you can't do something. God put us all here for a reason. Find that reason and be proud of it and work your tails off every day towards it. All the haters are doing is elevating your voice and platform to much greater heights. Last thing, always deal with the hate being thrown at you with love. Love over hate every day. Love should come naturally as people are taught to hate. Even when it's hate from the POTUS, President of the United States, love wins. Love wins. That's what real leadership and patriotism looks like. History will remember Bubba Wallace fondly. And Trump will end up in the Cooperstown of racists. He'll be in the racist and hater Hall of Fame. Dedicate yourself and you go find And he's really trying. He wants in that Hall of Fame because on the same day, he defended the use of the word Redskins and Indians as mascots for teams. He added another tweet weighing in on the recent announcements that the Washington Redskins of the NFL and the Cleveland Indians of Major League Baseball will finally review their racist names. Now, while many Native Americans and other advocates for change consider the names deeply offensive, Trump baselessly claimed that Native Americans would be very angry about the potential changes because apparently he knows more about Native American people than Native American people do. And he also took a shot at Senator Elizabeth Warren, who has apologized for her past claims of Native ancestry, but he never misses a chance to take a shot at her. And he said Indians, like Elizabeth Warren, must be very angry right now. And they might be a little bit less angry right now because it looks like the Washington football team may be finally changing their racist name. But what would they change it to? The suggestions have started to fly, and a guy named Ollie Connolly, who writes for The Guardian, had a good suggestion. He pointed everybody's attention to some work by a guy named Pete Rogers, Pete M. Rogers. He's the managing editor for SB Nation's Fake Teams, which is a fantasy sports site. But anyway, Rogers had an idea. Name the team The Red Tails. The Red Tails would celebrate the World War II Tuskegee Airmen, who were the first African-American military aviators in the U.S. Armed Forces. And the nickname Red Tails comes from their planes, which had a distinctive crimson tail. It's one idea, and I like it. Whatever they come up with will be better than what they've got. 
the name will change, finally. And one name that will continue to be remembered for different reasons continues to grow in legend. Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick has signed a first-look deal with Disney. So Kaepernick's journey from 49ers quarterback to civil rights activist is going to be put together into a documentary series developed by ESPN Films as part of a first-look deal between Walt Disney and Kaepernick's Raw Vision Media production company. So coming off the huge success of The Last Dance, ESPN's now got the Kaepernick story. And under the terms of the pact, Disney and Raw Vision are going to emphasize scripted and unscripted stories that deal with race, social injustice, and the quest for equity. And they're going to showcase directors and producers of color. And we'll talk more with Joy Taylor coming up about Kaepernick, whether or not he'll play and where he could land. Because he's on a roll. And so is The Stupid. The Stupid continues its hitting streak all throughout the Trump administration and most aggressively continuing its rally inside the Pentagon and at the Department of Defense and with the Secretary. So just as an update, the number of U.S. troops in Afghanistan now stands at about 8,600. And the National Guard has about 31,000 troops serving in response to the coronavirus. As an example of their work in Kansas, service members have packaged more than 4 million meals. But less than a week ago, everybody in the media wanted to talk about the Russian bounty story. Now, the story is pretty much out of the headlines and most have moved on. Just like Trump hoped would happen. But don't let him. Keep this story in the spotlight. We need answers. We need accountability. We need hearings. Because no matter how you cut it, our enemies are celebrating. And Trump still hasn't spoken out. He hasn't spoken out against Russia. He hasn't spoken out against any potential bounties. He hasn't even told the men and women of America's military that he's got their back. One guy did. Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who had this to say. Here we have a New York Times article that's unsubstantiated. In fact, if anybody has been in those briefings and they're being intellectually honest, we will know that indeed that if this president is is called to act, uh, not only has he acted in the past, but he'll act again if it's actionable intelligence. If it's actionable intelligence, which it is not, if it's actionable intelligence, he will take, let me be clear, I'll, I'll speak directly to the fighting American men and women. We have your back. If people are coming after you, whether it's Russia or anybody else, we have your back. We will defend you. This president has made it clear. No, you don't, dude. You don't. And Secretary of Defense Mark Esper, or Yesper, as they call him inside the Pentagon, because he says yes to everything that Trump wants, definitely doesn't. And Jesper's still got lots of questions to answer. In my view, he's a cowardly disgrace. He's the worst Secretary of Defense in our lifetime. And after Rumsfeld, that's saying something. What did he know? When did he know it? Why didn't he do anything? Drag his ass before Congress now and make him answer. Don't wait until November or January. Now, we talked about this in the last episode with Operation Free America. We cannot wait for him or Trump to do more damage. Jesper was supposed to be a check on Trump, and he's been the opposite, and the record is clear. And here's the latest example of Esper's failures. The sad and shameful conclusion to the decorated career of Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. This is Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. 
He received a Purple Heart when he was wounded in Iraq and later served on the National Security Council for the Trump White House. He was subpoenaed by Congress to testify about the Ukraine scandal. As a penalty for telling the truth, President Trump fired him and his twin brother and had them escorted from the White House. This isn't how the president is supposed to treat military heroes who obey the law. Our military deserves better. Our country deserves better. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman deserves better. That's from a group called Republicans for the Rule of Law. So Vindman announced this week he's retiring from the U.S. Army, and his lawyers cited a campaign of bullying, intimidation, and retaliation led by the president. But it's a terrible and predictably bad end to a shameful and destructive series of actions by Trump and his minions to include Sekdef Jesper. They wanted to give Vindman a, quote, rehabilitative assignment. That's what they said, whatever the hell that means. What they should have given him was a medal. History certainly will. So on behalf of everyone, I want to say thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. And he popped up quickly on Twitter. And now Vindman will be free to write a book about all of it and talk openly without reservation. I hope we see him on 60 Minutes and every news source soon. If Trump was really smart, he would have kept Vindman in the military to keep him quiet. But he wasn't. And now Vindman will have his day in the court of public opinion. Someone who never got their day in the court of public opinion or in any court is Vanessa Gillian. I covered this last week. Vanessa Gillian was a 20-year-old soldier reported missing from a U.S. Army base in Texas at Fort Hood. And we later found out that she had been killed. It's finally getting national attention. And the hashtag justice for Vanessa Gillian has started to trend. But it's a heart-wrenching, shocking, horrible story of a woman who was abandoned by her chain of command, who was abandoned by the military, and who was abandoned by her colleagues, left to die. And now she's inspired a movement, a movement for change. MJ Hager is a veteran and a working mom from Texas running for the U.S. Senate in Texas. And she tweeted this this week, We have failed Vanessa Keehan. The same culture I faced years ago when I was assaulted is alive and well. A culture where military officers and senior enlisted leaders, not all but enough, sweep complaints like hers under the rug and minimize sexual harassment. Vanessa's sexual harassment was minimized, and her safety was minimized, and she paid for it with her life. And in our Angry Action segment coming up, I'll have a way that you can get involved to help and push back and ensure that we have justice for Vanessa Guillen. Every time an incident like this happens, every time that Trump turns on our military, every time we leave our soldiers to die or be wounded or be abused by a system that's still broken, our enemies are celebrating. And during all this, we still are losing men and women in combat. This week in Afghanistan, Specialist Vincent Sebastian Iberia died. He died in the Farah province in a vehicle rollover the Pentagon announced. Ibaria was signed to the 2nd Battalion, 22nd Infantry Regiment, Fort Drum. The New York-based unit is part of the 1st Infantry Combat Team, 10th Mountain Division, which deployed to Afghanistan with the brigade this spring. Friends remembered Ibaria as loyal, kind, and positive. He was 21 years old and on his first deployment as a member of the 10th Mountain Division. On his Facebook page, where he last posted years ago, he showed that he liked soccer, track and field, kickboxing, skittles, and sleeping. He's a 21-year-old American that was lost in Afghanistan. Remember his story and remember his name. Don't let it become Forgotistan. 
The Department of Defense and the VA could have been a powerful one-two punch. They could have been Mantle and Maris, the duo that still holds a single-season record for a combined total home runs by a pair of teammates with 115 in 1961. But they're not. The DOD and VA are not Mantle and Maris. They're more like the Bad News Bears. Remember that? The DOD and VA are like the Bad News Bears, except they never turn things around. They just keep getting worse. They're like the Mets. They always let you down. They always break your heart. And that's especially true right now, the VA and the VA leadership. Things keep getting worse. VA cases nationwide are up 300% in the last month. And the outbreaks in Florida are hitting veterans as well. Florida has five of the top 20 VA hospitals with the most active COVID cases. And as of now, the VA has still only tested 338,000 people total since the pandemic began. As we've covered every single episode, it's a pathetic number. New York State tests that many people in about six days, and the VA has only tested 338,000. And they haven't been testing people for coronavirus, but they have been testing hydroxychloroquine on vets. They've been testing the controversial drug on vets and keeping it way below the radar. But finally, this week... That changed. A massive investigative piece by the Washington Post busted it wide open. It was written by Debbie Sensipper and Sean Mulcahy. And the headline read, The COVID Cocktail, Inside a Pennsylvania Nursing Home That Gave Some Veterans Hydroxychloroquine Even Without COVID-19 Testing. And check this out. This is exactly what we've been warning about. Though precise estimates vary, the State Department of Military and Veterans Affairs said that about 30 residents have received the drug. Several nursing home staff members placed the number higher, and the Chester County coroner, who reviewed the medical records for some of those who died, said that at least 11 residents who received the hydroxychloroquine treatment had not even been tested for COVID-19. So Trump and VA Secretary Wilkie have consistently pushed magic bullet solutions and hydroxychloroquine specifically, despite warnings of the risk. You can check out the hashtag WhereIsWilkie for all the highlights from the last few months. It's outrageous, it's disgusting, and possibly criminal. A scandal like this would bring down most presidencies. This one is hoping you won't even notice. We need immediate congressional investigations and swift accountability and jail time for anyone who knew about a single preventable death and, if appropriate, articles of impeachment. Trump lied and Betts died. Who in Congress will step up? Who will demand investigations? This is an opportunity for both parties to finally show some spine and focus on one issue that should actually unite them. And it could be perfect for veterans in the Senate, like Democrat Tammy Duckworth and Republican Joni Ertz, to combine on. I'm not holding my breath on that one, but America is watching. If you're not angry about this debacle, you're really not paying attention. In the article, they quote, that they started using hydroxychloroquine on anyone who had symptoms. It was in the news. It was like the next great thing. I feel like it was, let's use this on our elderly patients and see what happens. Maybe they thought they were going to die anyway. Trump lied. Vets died. Wilkie lied. Vets died. But don't let this story die. 
There must be accountability. Every person responsible needs to go to jail at the highest levels. Congressional investigations should be launched immediately and, if appropriate, articles of impeachment. Don't let them say they didn't know. Don't let them say it wasn't their fault. Don't let them say it was just a state agency. The VA secretary was pushing this drug on TV. We've covered it. He was on MSNBC with Stephanie Rule. He was on ABC with Martha Raddatz. And he said hydroxychloroquine works. And how do you get permission from a dying veteran with Alzheimer's to let them test this on you? Don't let them hide the ball on this one. Keep it out in front. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And finally, one last issue that's got me angry, it's got others angry and should have everyone angry is, of course, the third raging storm that sometimes you sort of forget about, the 2020 race for president. And because the year hasn't been weird enough, Kanye announced he's jumping in. Hip-hop artist and professional jackass Kanye West announced on 4th of July that he is running for president. Kanye West said he no longer supports Trump, And in a Forbes article citing an interview with the rapper, he said he plans to run for election under the banner of the, quote, birthday party. I would run as a Republican if Trump wasn't there, and I would run as an independent if Trump is there, West told Forbes. He also said he was sick with COVID-19 in February and is suspicious about a vaccine. He denied that it was a publicity stunt for his upcoming album, and he also selected an obscure preacher from Wyoming named Michelle Tidball to be his running mate. Now, he's taken no concrete steps toward a presidential bid, he hasn't filed any papers, he can't qualify for ballot access, and he has no campaign infrastructure. But he says he's going as an independent. And if you listen to this show, you know that I'm a political independent, and many of you are political independents or are unaffiliated. And life as an independent in America kind of sucks right now. It's like being a Mets fan, or a Jets fan, or a Knicks fan. We got nothing. We're stuck in a world of Vince Coleman's. Remember Vince Coleman when he got to the Mets, whose issues included accidentally injuring Dwight Gooden by swinging a golf club in the clubhouse? We're in a world of Mark Sanchez's. Remember Mark Sanchez, the butt fumble guy? We're in a world of Carmelo Anthony's. We're in a world of Vince Coleman's, Mark Sanchez's, and Carmelo Anthony's. Instead, we get Howard Schultz, Mike Bloomberg, and Justin Amash. Every independent since Ross Perot in America has been a swing and a miss. And that's all I have to say about Kanye, because he doesn't deserve any more attention. But here's something that does deserve attention. Republicans are increasingly running away from Trump. Literally. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley announced that he will not attend the Republican National Convention next month in Florida due to coronavirus concerns. Hey, is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. The Republican National Convention will definitely not be heaven for anyone attending. And it's not Iowa where Senator Grassley comes from. Yet. But it might be soon. It was supposed to be Charlotte. Then the coronavirus happened. Then it was supposed to be Jacksonville. But now Florida's not looking too promising either. And Trump's running out of locations. And more and more high-profile folks are backing out. And others have followed Grassley, including Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, Mitt Romney of Utah, Susan Collins of Maine, and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. So those last three especially will be looking to survive after Trump's gone. They're all watching the winds, per usual, and failing to strongly speak out, per usual. Romney's been a lone voice of hope in the Republican Party at times, and as soon as Trump's gone, look for them all to try to claim the mantle. But it's too late. They're no John McCain. The Republican Party has been destroyed, 
and they'll need new voices to rebuild from the ground up. But despite those Republicans running away, the convention still coming soon. Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany had this to say. Are there any fresh thoughts about scaling back Jacksonville? No, we're still moving forward with Jacksonville. Um, it'll be a safe event. It will be a good event. And it will be up to the RNC as to how those details are hashed out. Yeah, good luck with that. That has about as much chance of being a good event as the Knicks have winning the NBA championship or the Orioles winning the World Series. But Joe Biden's odds are looking better and better. He continues to lead in the polls, and 538 had a rundown. The new national surveys mostly confirmed that Biden's got a big lead. The Economist and YouGov found that Biden was up by nine points. Last week, a survey from Research Company found the same. Rasmussen reports and Pulse Opinion, a pollster that Trump cites often in support of his presidency this week, found Biden up by 10 points. But not every poll has been as bullish for Biden. A new poll from Reuters Ipsos found that Biden was only up by six points, while a survey last week by Yahoo and YouGov put him up by just five points. And a Hill-Harris-X poll found Biden up by just four. But some are predicting a sweep, a blowout. Here's Marine Corps veteran and big league slugger James Carville on the 11th hour with Brian Williams in a segment right before me. I was proud to follow James Carville in this batting order, but Carville, as usual, came out swinging. If you just look at it across the whole breadth of polls, you can see this is evident. I've been saying this for a long, long time. And right now, this race is going to look like it's going to be a route. And I don't know what Trump is doing. He's out there. The thing in South Dakota was that like the nuttiest thing I ever seen. Talk about the Confederacy, the Confederacy of Dunces. That's about the only thing they got. I mean, the thing is just going very poorly for them. Poorly indeed. And as the numbers continue to fluctuate, the sweepstakes rolls on. And the name everybody's hearing about a lot lately is Tammy Duckworth. We covered her before in this podcast, and I hope she'll join me as a guest one day. She's an Iraq vet, a double amputee, a former Army helicopter pilot, and many have seen now that she can be a powerful attack dog for Biden against Trump. And she's been in the news for one particular reason. Sometimes there are players, and sometimes... They're just fans. Well, here we are with the hopes and dreams of all true Giants fans. Ex-Brave center fielder and league RBI champ Bobby Rayburn. In the game of life, Come on, bring it, baby. some are chosen for greatness. While others can only watch. Some people are the man or the woman on the field or in the arena. And others are just critics. They sit in the stands and they throw popcorn at the field and they take shots at players they don't know and they talk shit to their friends, like Tucker Carlson does. Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois is a top contender for the job. You're not supposed to criticize Tammy Duckworth in any way because she once served in the military. Most people just ignore her. But when Duckworth does speak in public, you're reminded what a deeply silly and unimpressive person she is. Here's Tammy Duckworth from over the weekend telling us it's time to get rid of George Washington. I know that you support changing the name of military bases named after Confederate leaders, but there are leaders like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson who were slave owners, and some people are demanding that their monuments come down too. So in your view, where does it end? Should statues, for example, of George Washington come down? 
Well, let me just say that we should start off by having a national dialogue on it um, at some point. A national dialogue, please. They're not looking for a, any kind of a colloquy. What they want is a soliloquy. We speak, you shut up and listen. So what to make of all of this? Well, it's long been considered out of bounds to question a person's patriotism. It's a very strong charge, and we try not ever to make it. But in the face of all of this, the conclusion can't be avoided. These people actually hate America. There's no longer a question about that. And yet, paradoxically, at the same time, they desperately want to control America more than anything. And that leads to the most basic of all questions. Can you really lead a country that you hate? So professional hater, racist, and America divider Tucker Carlson accused Tammy Duckworth of hating her country. And he ratcheted up her criticism of Duckworth, calling her a coward. He not only doubled down on his claim that Duckworth hates America, he called her a coward, a fraud, and a moron, questioning whether or not she should be described as a hero. We played that tape for you last night, and we noted how grotesque it was. Only someone who hates the country would suggest ripping down monuments to its founder. Apparently, Tammy Duckworth saw what we said. She didn't disagree with it exactly. Instead, she questioned our right to criticize her at all, since she was once injured while serving in the Illinois Army National Guard. That's what passes for an argument in modern identity politics. They don't address the points that you make. They question your right to make them at all. The irony, of course, is that George Washington himself, the dead traitor Tammy Duckworth has such contempt for, also served in the military. Washington spent most of his adult life under arms. He fought in two wars. At one point during the winter of 1777, Washington lost almost a quarter of his entire army to cold and malnutrition. So George Washington paid his dues. He was, as we might say today, a combat veteran. And by the way, Washington also created the country we live in. George Washington was a genuinely great man. But to morons like Tammy Duckworth, Washington is just some old white guy who needs to be erased. Let's tear down his statues, rename our capital city Sharpton or Mandela, and let the revolution continue. But hold on, not so fast. Changes that profound deserve a debate. Not some fake national conversation where they scream commands at you and you get to obey, but a vigorous reasoned exchange between adults. We wanted to have an exchange like that with Tammy Duckworth tonight. So we called her office and we invited her on the show. Her flack informed us that before even considering our request, we must first issue a public apology for criticizing Tammy Duckworth. In other words, I will not debate you until first you admit you're completely wrong. Keep in mind, Tammy Duckworth is not a child, at least not technically. She is a sitting United States senator who is often described as a hero. Yet Duckworth is too afraid to defend her own statements on a cable TV show. What a coward. Tammy Duckworth is also a fraud. Five years ago, while she was a member of Congress, whistleblowers from a VA hospital in Illinois approached Duckworth to report the widespread mistreatment of sick veterans. Remember that story? The whistleblowers met with Tammy Duckworth three times. She refused to help them. She is a hero. And Tucker Carlson is a coward. I'm reluctant to even mention his name and bring up this issue, but I've kind of been waiting for this. It's like a slow hanging curveball that I've been waiting to hit for so long. And this is the moment. Tucker Carlson, coward, who's never worn the uniform, who every single day divides America, who every single day causes our enemies to celebrate, who every single day makes America a weaker place. Tucker Carlson, now is your time. 
like others before you, like New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, like Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, like South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, like Acting Secretary of the Navy Thomas Moldley, like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, boy, we got that one right, like Senator Rand Paul, like Vice President Mike Pence, like the mobs of morons who took guns to the Michigan Capitol to protest stay-at-home orders, like BA Secretary Wilkie, who pushed hydroxychloroquine on dying vets on Memorial Day, like the looters after the George Floyd murder and the radicals who totally wanted to eliminate the police, Paw Patrol and the wire and like Florida Congressman Matt Gates, and like Representative Louis Gohmert and last episode, the incomparable Vanilla Ice. Yep, yep. It's finally the right time. I've been waiting for this, Tucker. And it's like a slow hanging curveball. You think that Tammy Duckworth is a coward? You can disagree with her politics, but you cannot question her patriotism. You were in no position to question anyone's patriotism. And therefore, I am proud to finally, without reservation, award you a very special kind of recognition. Tucker Carlson, this is the first time. I'm sure it won't be the last. This one's for you. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane while people behind me are going insane. I'm an He's a coward. He's not a fighter. He's not in the arena. He's on the outside. And that's where he should stay. But there are helpers out there. People who continue to step up, who continue to do good, who continue to dedicate themselves to making this country a better place and to helping others. And especially now, they continue to step up. So look for the helpers. Look for the heroes. They're out there. Like former Kalamazoo Central Athletics wide receiver and former Marine Corps veteran, Philip Blanks, who gets the MVP this week for sure, and maybe for the year. Check this out. Welcome back. Former K-Central wide receiver Philip Blanks caught a 30-yard touchdown pass on the final play of the game to beat arch-rival Loy Norris back in 2009. And for the last 11 years, that was by far the biggest catch of Blanks' life until this past Friday. News Channel 3 Sports Director Andy Pepper joins us now with this incredible story, Andy. All right, thank you, Erica. Good evening, everybody. Philip Blanks is not just a former K-Central wide receiver. He's also a former United States Marine who says he was, quote, put on this earth to protect people. Well, this past Friday morning, Blanks protected a young boy from a potentially fatal fall. Take a look at this amazing video. Blanks in the red shirt making a diving catch of a three-year-old boy who was dropped from the balcony of a burning third-floor apartment in Phoenix, Arizona. Just incredible. The 28-year-old says he was up early to go work out with a friend who lived next door to the apartment. Blank says he heard screaming and without hesitation raced over to catch a young child he says was twirling like a helicopter as he fell through the air. People were screaming that there's kids up there and to throw the kids down. I just caught him. I seen another guy was standing there uh, getting ready to catch it, catch the boy, but he didn't look like he was going to do it. So I stepped in front of him and um, 
the way I caught him, I had to I had to fall on my side, of course, and that that damaged his foot. But um, the, the most important thing is that his head was saved and his main his main body. According to a Phoenix newspaper, the boy and his eight-year-old sister were critically injured in that fire. The mother of those two children did not survive the blaze. Blanks told me that his mission is to, quote, track those, those two children and their father down and to help them as much as I can. Clutch. Clutch. Clutch players come up in the big moment. Players like Philip Blanks. Helpers like Philip Blanks. Heroes like Philip Blanks. The bases were loaded. Bottom of the ninth, everything was on the line, and Philip Blanks delivered. He ran in when others ran out. He's a helper. He's a hero. And he's the kind of leader we need now more than ever before. And another big-time player is our guest this episode. Joy Taylor was a sprinter. She was small but fast. Scrappy as they say in sports. And Joy Taylor comes from a family of fighters. Her sister is in the Air Force. Her grandfather was in the military. Her brother is Hall of Fame defensive end Jason Taylor. He's a six-time Pro Bowler and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2017 in his first year of eligibility. But maybe most importantly, Jason Taylor was a Walter Payton Man of the Year in 2017. Joy Taylor comes from a family of fighters, a family of leaders, a family of helpers, and she worked her way up, grinding it out from radio in Miami when she was in college into the biggest arena in sports media. And every day, Joy Taylor is mixing it up in that crazy arena with her own unique and powerful style. Joy Taylor takes no shit. She keeps him honest and she keeps us inspired. Angry Americans continues our groundbreaking focus on the frontline fighters of the front lines of our three storms, the virus, the protests, the election. And this time, we have another important, inspiring, iconic guest that's on the front lines daily, pushing ideas on all three. Like a shortstop or maybe a catcher, she's calling the shots. She's running the team. She's making the moves. She's a guest that shaped America's past, is shaping its present, and will surely shape its future. She's a leader who always steps up to the plate in the big moments, like all the great ones. It's a crazy time in America, an epically crazy time, and an epically crazy time in sports. And Joy's podcast is called Maybe I'm Crazy. And right now, we all feel like we're crazy. And sports is something unique, like maybe only politics that can really bring out the crazies and bring out the crazy in all of us. And not just the fanatical crazy, but the good crazy. The crazy that makes you love your team, love your favorite players, and love the game. Now batting for the Indians, number two, Derek Jeter, number two. And we're bringing the four eyes, just like we always do. It's a fastball of integrity that'll make your glove pop. It's an upper deck blast of information. It's a diving catch of inspiration. To a right center field, Revere on the run, and he reaches out, he makes the catch! It's a grand slam of impact. Here's the 0-1. High fly ball to left. This is gone for a grand slam for 
The boys of summer are back. The bases are loaded. Welcome to a discussion about sports in the time of the pandemic. Welcome to a conversation about whether our games are more important than our health. Welcome to a conversation about politics, patriotism, and power. Welcome to another critical playing field that will shape the future of America. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 67. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the globe, we have a very, very exciting, inspiring, important, fun, dynamic guest that I have been trying uh, and looking forward to getting on the pod for a long, long time and is a woman who inspires me, uh, a woman who motivates me, a woman who I love following on Twitter and all across the media, and a person who's really of the moment, uh, given all that's going on in the sports world and politics the great and powerful Joy Taylor is here. Welcome, my friend, <laughs> Angry Americans. <laughs> what an intro. I have so much to live up to now. That's unfair. Like the great and powerful. I'm going to add that to my Twitter bio, actually. That's great. You totally should, because your, your Twitter bio keeps expanding, and your media empire keeps expanding, and I'm excited to get into all that. But I got to start. Did you see what I'm wearing? Yeah, I see you have a 99 on. I like the I like the the number, but what is the jersey from? Well, so it's actually for folks who are listening and not watching, it is my jersey from my senior year of football at the great and powerful powerhouse Amherst College in Western Massachusetts. We nice. were form- we were formerly known as the Lord Jeffs and then they recently changed to a less offensive and racist mascot, uh, the Mammoths because our old mascot the Lord Jeff was most notably uh, recognized for being a British general who distributed smallpox infested blankets to the native people. So we changed the name, but I wore number 99 my last two years. Uh, I was a defensive end and then I switched Ah. to tight end and I thought it would be really cool to keep 99 because people don't realize it's an eligible number. (laughs) And given that I'm talking to you and you're a legend and your brother is a legend uh, and I really, really want football to come back, Joy. So that was my homage to your brother, to football, to Amherst, and, and a bit of a toast to you. Thank you. Uh, I love that. I love anyone who wears 99 um, because of Jason. I thought maybe it was like a New, a New York tie, too, um, because he's – because are you a Jets fan? Giants fan. Giants. Okay. Okay. So I, I experienced being a New York football Jets fan for one year, which was wonderful. It was one of my favorite seasons of his career because they made it to the AFC Championship game and it was, it was yeah. fun. Um, after many years of struggling with the Dolphins, it was, it was nice to, to just get you know, a little taste of, of what excellence <laughs> is like. Um, although I don't know how, how much you would describe that team overall as excellence, but it was, it was a fun experience. So um, that's awesome though. That was a really fun year. They, they had a good run and he was, it was awesome to have him there and didn't, Gastineau wear it back in the day, right? I think did Gastineau wear 99 and now Aaron Judge wears 99. Yeah. 99's, like your, your brother kind of, I think, made 99 cool. 
Did he? I'm trying to think who wore 99. I mean, he probably did. Like, I know a lot of people that wore 99 or they tell me they wore 99 for Jason. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did play for 15 years, so I'm sure he inspired lots of uh, defensive players to to get that number. And he was 33 in college. Really? Yeah. Huh. And did you, what number did you wear or would you wear if you were? I will. So when I played sports, I, I always wanted to wear 33 because of Jason, but I also, you know, I'm little, so I, I, you know, you get the high school issued jerseys. You don't really get, you know, your own size. So I, I often had to go with like two or uh, 15 because those were like the smaller jerseys. I can't be out here swimming in my jersey. Um, so I wore two a lot, but when I could get 33, I would get 33. That's a high school thing, right? Like the little, little, little people had like single digits and the really, really big dudes and dudettes had, had 99, right? Like the- yeah. The biggest guy on the football field, the big fat lineman, always had 99, right? That's why I actually had to take this jersey in because the yeah. dude had it, and then I got it all slick so they couldn't grab me when they were trying to tackle me. But <laughs> anyway, you've been an offensive player, a defensive player. I want to get into all your views on so many things happening in the world. But first off, Joy, where are you and how are you? This pandemic has been wild. You've been talking about it, right? But where are you and, and how are you? And what's this last couple months been like for you? I'm in Los Angeles uh, in my apartment right now in front in my like little home studio, which I kind of set up when we started doing the show from home, probably a week after everything shut down. So um, I'm pretty used to doing stuff from home now, whereas before I would never do anything from my house. Everything I would do would pretty much be um, on the lot. So I'm... I'm okay. I feel like this past like two weeks has been really stressful. It's kind of ratcheted back up the stress level for everyone because it kind of felt like we were, we were creeping out of it. And then now it's been this explosion of cases and I'm, um, I I don't watch the news like purposely. And I've I've never been someone who, who watches the news, watches cable television news because I'm in the business and like, I know how the sausage is made, so you know, it's just not, it's not for me, but I am a big researcher um, by nature. So I do need information and want information, but I choose to read mm. my information and then get it from different places and then make my own decisions, you know, but I just, I don't want to get overwhelmed also with like these, these waves of, of negative news, which is a lot of what's going on right now when it comes to, to the pandemic. So you know, but you're talking to people and, you know, it's affecting everybody, I think, more closely now than it was when everything first shut down. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm navigating it like everybody else. I'm just trying to stay positive and, like, you know, look at it for what it is. We're kind of in management mode right now, I feel, with everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully our leaders make some smart decisions eventually and get us <laughs> into a space where we can just, you know, function as a society. But it, it's really, it's really difficult to decide what's, what's right to do because I, I do understand it. I understand what people are going through. It's very frustrating. It's overwhelming. It's not like I'm like, yeah, I love being quarantined. Like this is, it's hard for everybody, no matter what kind of uh, space you're on. What bothers me is that it's been politicized because it's just not a political issue. And I don't understand why people have the desire to make everything a political issue. I don't think people are actually as political as they fancy themselves. I think they mm. just like to throw, you know, scripted words out from whatever side they're on that just fit whatever narrative it is. But this is not a political issue. Like this is a real life and death situation. 
Um, but we, you know, we live in a divided society. So, and we're not getting a unifying message uh, about what to do. So I know it's really stressful for everybody. I'm stressed out too. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to navigate it and like be mindful of other people as much as I can. Well, from where I sit watching you as a fan, looks like you've been navigating it brilliantly, but we all have to deal with this stress in different ways. Some of us deal with it by drinking. Uh, so I ask every guest, Joy Taylor, what is your favorite drink, cocktail, or adult beverage of choice? Uh, I have been navigating some of the stress of it by drinking. That is uh, not in an unhealthy amount, but sure. yes. Uh, well, okay, so it depends, right? Like I'm a big wine person. So I like to have a glass of wine uh, at night, chill out. Um, so I could drink wine pretty much every day, but I don't drink wine every day, but I could drink wine every day. But um, it depends on the setting, right? Like, so say all this is not going on and like I'm going out for the night, you can't drink wine all night because you're not going to get the same wine in every place you go and you're not going to get the same quality. Like sure. You can't go from a nice dinner with a nice, you know, bottle of wine and you want to keep going out and you go to the dive bar and they've got, you know, box wine. Like that's, that's a bad night for you. <laughs> so a long night of drinking or a long day of drinking, I'm going with tequila. So it's, it's either, it's either wine or tequila for me at this point. Occasionally I'll dabble in any, uh, dirty martini, but I'm pretty mm. much, if it's liquor, it's tequila. If not, it's wine. Red wine or white wine? Uh, I, do, I do all of it. I don't discriminate. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I would normally, we would be in person, we'd be at the car club and I had no idea what you were going to choose. And so I literally, I went upstairs and was like, what is left in my house? Right. Because <laughs> sometimes the boys are just ripping through stuff or things just disappear. And we had 4th of July. So the best I could come up with, and cause I wasn't going to go with wine just because it was, it's kind of warm. I found a Mike's hard lemonade. So, I haven't had Mike's Hard in a long time. It's summertime. I'm kind of going all out with the jersey. I'm hoping for football. I did the little cornhole. So, like, I'm I'm, I'm going to toast you with a Mike's Hard lemonade. I'm Here. sorry I couldn't come better, but I've got my, my water. Thank you. So, Joy, other question I ask everybody: When you were growing up, Joy Taylor, what was your first car? My first car was a red Dodge Neon. My brother got it for me when I went away to college and uh, it, was, it was a very sweet gift. It was brand new. And I thought Dodge Neons were like the coolest car, car on earth. Like they were such a cute girl car. Um, and I was a terrible driver and that car by the end of its run looked like it had been through like, I don't even know, uh, what, what, like a crash derby or something. It was a disaster. Uh, I was not a good driver, but it was, that was my first car. I loved it. Amazing. And so you went to school in Texas, right? At, at, at Baylor? Right? No, no. I went to school my freshman year. I ran track on yeah. scholarship. So I, I went to a school about an hour outside of Pittsburgh, IUP, Indiana University of Pennsylvania okay. and ran track there my freshman year. And then I moved to Florida and I ended up uh, graduating from Barry. Oh, Barry, sorry. In Miami, yeah. My bad on that one. My bad on that I one. I mean, it's mostly like Baylor, Barry. Yeah. What did you run when you ran track? Sprints. Mm, mm. The one, four by, I didn't run the two. I was not good at the two. Uh, one, four by one, four by four, 400. So pivoting into the world we're in now, Joy, right? There's so much going on about the intersection of, of politics and sports. And maybe just as, as a starting point, you know, some networks are saying no politics at all, 
right? That was the, that was the, 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 the line pre-pandemic. And now I think it's hard to separate the two because political decisions are impacting whether or not sports can happen, right? Like whether or not people can gather, you know, the president continues to jump in on all kinds of different shit ranging from, you know, Bubba Wallace to, you know, how he feels about football and the national anthem and everything else. But can you, from your perspective, you're a student of this, you research this, you're in it every day, you're in the arena and you're in the sports arena, you're throwing blows, you're taking blows, but now the sports arena and the political arena have intersected. In, in so many different ways. So from where you sit, you talked about it a little bit, you know, what do you think of this moment? And now we're seeing so many players that are uh, getting involved in politics, that are supporting candidates, that are supporting Black Lives Matter. You know, there's a debate in the NBA about whether or not they can do tributes on the back of jerseys. And it doesn't look like that political um, element. And I think in a good way is going to leave sports now that they have such a, so many players have such a, a strong platform. But as you break it down, Joy, like what do you think of this moment and, and what do you think the summer and the next even year is going to look like going into the election as those two continue to intersect? So I've been saying this for probably the past four years, um, really ever since Trump got in office, which is that, you know, it, you look at time as just like this flat line, right, that just goes on in, in infinity. And there's certain spaces through you know the the space this line of time that history just looks at a little clo- a little closer right like civil rights movement holocaust uh, great depression and i feel like this time this this space that we're living in for the past 4 years um, is one of those times that history's just going to look at a little bit closer like we've had some spaces where we've had like you know relative moments of peace or you know, prosperity and, you know, there's always something going on in the world, but it doesn't really feel like everyone is struggling, right? Or everyone is going through something or there's always some bad news. And that's where we are right now. So I feel like people who otherwise weren't political or otherwise weren't really that socially active or um, not that active necessarily in their communities or just you know, just kind of comfortable in their life and, you know, are not bad people, but not necessarily trying to rock the boat in any direction or felt compelled to do that are now being forced to have an opinion and forced to pick a side. And I really, unfortunately, believe there, there are sides now. Like we have, we are a divided space. There's not a whole lot of room for independent thinkers or independent opinions because we are so divided that, you know, those opinions will in some way get snatched by one side or the other. And then you'll be labeled as this or that when you really weren't even saying that or thinking that. So, um, yeah, I think this is a space and time that's very important in history, which is why I think how people behave right now is very, is very important also. <laughs> there goes my, for folks listening at home, sorry about that, Joy. <laughs> that's okay. That was, that, this is a uh, pandemic media. That's my that's my blue moon box that holds up my microphone. And the, duct, the duct tape just gave out. <laughs> the duct tape just gave out, right? This is what I love about doing these from home. It's like there's always something. Like, it, it, there will randomly be construction that otherwise my apartment like building did not tell me about, or oh. they'll like they'll start doing landscaping outside my window or something. Um, but the one thing I, I will say is like everyone's super understanding of all of the mishaps that everyone's going through trying They're to gonna get have to be like as my duct tape out. is right now. <laughs> right out. 
as an as an army infantry guy, I learned how to use duct tape on the regular. So I've never used more duct tape since maybe I was in the army <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> but I'm sorry about that. But you, I think I, you know, I think you're 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 right, Joey, in that it's it's kind of a new normal, right? And do you feel like you know, I, you know, I feel like this moment, especially around election year, I, I've said this before to folks that. Um, I feel like during election years, everybody has an opinion about politics in the same way everybody's a football fan on Super Bowl Sunday. And there's, you know, I can't go watch a Super Bowl in public places because I can't have that guy sitting next to me who watches one game a year and has an opinion on everything. It's just, I want to enjoy my game and, and watch the game and the way I want to watch it. But I feel like similarly now, it's kind of Super Bowl Sunday of politics every weekend or every day. But there are also, on the flip side, so many important voices that didn't speak out until now, right? And, and you know, everybody's looking to somebody like LeBron, but now, you know, Bubba Wallace has been thrust into the spotlight, and I think he's handled it with tremendous class. And, you know, that's like a guy getting elected to a national office overnight and every, all the pressure on him that was just magnified on a level that, you know, a young man has a hard time dealing with on the best of circumstances, right? And then, you know, I saw a quote from Doolittle, the pitcher from the Nats this weekend, you know, kind of breaking it down. And I'm, I'm happy and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for athletes to have more of a voice because they have so much of an influence. I mean, you know, a lot of folks aren't going to watch the news channels. They're watching you. They're listening to you. And they look to athletes, especially young people, uh, for role models. So I'm, I'm glad to see that that moment is happening. But with that backdrop, um, do, do players talk to you behind the scenes or offline? And, you know, who do, are they worried? You know, do they fear that it'll affect their sponsorships or, or their free agency prospects? And is there anybody, you know, are there old, wise people that they look to, that they call up and say, hey, I'm going into a tough situation? Are there, you know, kind of political gurus within the sports world that maybe the average sports fan or the average political person doesn't know is out there that's guiding some of the younger players through times like this? Um, I don't know so much about like a one singular guru. I know there are voices who have been active, you know, for a very long time. People like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, you know, people like that, that have been on the forefront of social issues and politics for a very long time that, you know, when they speak, people pay attention. As far as sponsorships and free agency and things like that, I think that the, 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 the overwhelming amount of voices have made it impossible for organizations or for owners um, or companies to discriminate against vocal athletes because everyone has a voice in one direction or another now. So what are you going to do? Right. And that's really like, that's the power that has come from this. And that's, I am excited that that's happened because I've always felt like that was possible. And I felt like that was something that was really needed when the Kaepernick stuff was happening. If everyone had united at that particular moment, um, you know, like the sons of bitches comment, like if everyone had stood together and used mm-hmm. their voice, then that would have taken the power away from it and shown like, no, like we are actually in charge of this space. Mm-hmm. Like we are the talents, so to speak. So we do have the power to make, to make changes drastically um, and can force your hand in that space. So because of everything that's happened, that, that unification of we all have a voice and we're going to use it. I think the video that Saquon Barkley and Patrick Mahomes and Tyron Matthew and all those guys posted um, a few weeks ago 
really show that like the power in the NFL. I mean, these are, these are the stars of the NFL saying you need to do something and that's, it's going to make change. It's going to happen. And that's what, that's what happened. Things started happening. So when you do use your voice, I think a lot of young players as well, because they understand the power of social media, realize that their voice can go a long way and they can affect people. I would say that it is still incumbent on people to do their own research and to educate themselves on whatever it is that they care about or they feel passionate about or what their favorite athlete is talking about. Um, because, you know, we all, we all love our heroes, but it's still on us to be educated and not just run around spouting off, you know, meme facts mm. and things like that. So I, I love that they have their voice. I'm proud of all of them for using it. It's powerful and important. And I don't think that it's going to change anytime soon. Mm. And there's been, there's also been kind of a collective informal organizing that didn't happen before, right? Like there was always the players unions, which were powerful in different ways in different sports. But now there's this collective sense of community, right? Where they're, where they're all together and Kaepernick has probably been a rally point around that. And, and now we'll see what happens, right? Because maybe the players will be able to push back at this moment where they have the leverage and they can slow down the reopenings or they can dictate the terms. I don't know if it's going to be possible a year or two from now if the leagues can't pay them anymore, right? And that shift happens. But staying on Kaepernick, Joy, what do you think happens now? Like, you know, I, I've been vocal about the fact that, you know, everybody has a right to kneel or not kneel. That's part of being an American. He, he's been, you know, now elevated on this, you know, historic level. Um, you know, there's a film being done about him now. There's so much more stuff happening. But on, 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 the, on the player's level, is he going to get a shot to play somewhere? And why hasn't a small market shitty team like Jacksonville or somewhere, maybe Jacksonville's a bad political example, but, but from a winning percentage, maybe a good one. Why hasn't a team taken a shot or will they, right? They're like, hey, we're going to suck anyway. You know, we want to rally people to support our team. Because if you pick Kaepernick now, there, there is a legitimate base where people will buy the jersey, they'll, they'll buy tickets or whatever they can buy to support him. So what, what do you, what's your prediction, Joy? How do you think this is going to play out in the next year or so? Well, I don't, I'm still under the impression that he wants to play. I haven't heard anything from him. Obviously, we heard the announcement about Disney and uh, the Netflix Ava, Ava DuVernay story about his life. So we know those things are happening and I'm assuming he still wants to play football. I do think it's a very interesting space we're in right now because we don't know what's going to happen with Corona and how that's going to affect teams and guys being out for two weeks and you need a backup or whatever. So it's a very unpredictable scenario for all sports moving forward. There's going to be guys that have, are sitting on the couch that they're going to call up that they're going to need. They do that during a regular season when there's injuries. So now I think it's even going to be uh, more important to have those, you know, that, that roster of guys that you call when, when something like that goes down. Hopefully it doesn't, obviously, but there's always injuries no matter what, even without Corona. So I think that kind of makes the landscape interesting for Kaepernick. I do think that he will get an opportunity this year somewhere. The, the, the issue has always been with Kaepernick, outside of obviously him being blackballed, is that he is a quarterback. So if he had been in any other position, I think he probably would have been signed by now. But because he's a quarterback, you know, we put quarterbacks in this other special category, rightfully so, because they're the leaders and there's only one and backup quarterbacks. I mean, you can't even name most backup quarterbacks around the league. And he is at this point and was before he 
was blackballed by the league, a backup quarterback. That was, that was the level of play he was at. A very good backup quarterback, but a backup quarterback, and that's okay. I mean, Jameis Winston is a backup quarterback. He was a starter last year. Mm. Marcus Mariota is a backup quarterback. He was a starter last year. So there's no shame in being a backup quarterback. And those two are celebrity backup quarterbacks, right? Yeah. But we know Kaepernick's on a whole other level when it comes to that. So there's going to be a certain level of press that comes with it. There's going to be a certain level of questions that come with it. I think that's a coward's response and reason to not, to not sign him. But I think it will end up happening this year regardless. Yeah. As far as a small market team doing it, I, I, don't, I don't know what Jacksonville's doing ever. So <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really have an explanation for that. For that. Um, but I, 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 think, I think he will get an opportunity this year for multiple reasons. Do you have a prediction on if you had to rank the top three most likely places he could end up? Do you, do you have a prediction? I mean, I don't think it's necessary because, because everything is so unpredictable right now. Yeah. I really can't say because there are teams that like, say like the saints, right? They've got Drew Brees. They've got James Winston. They got Taysom Hill. So it's like a lot would have to happen for them to need another backup quarterback. You know, so like, I think that it's going to be a team that's already kind of iffy at the quarterback spot. And then, I mean, someone gets injured, God forbid someone, you know, tests positive, And it's going to be like one of those situations. I don't think that he's going to be signed at the beginning of the season, but I think he will get a call this year. Mm. I, I, I wonder how much to calculate. Like someone's back there crunching the numbers and saying, you know, we'll make this much money on Jersey sh- sales alone immediately. Right. Like a day. Well, they will. They will, for sure. The day you sign him, and especially if they're having a hard time filling seats, if, if fans are, you know, at a lower level of interest than before, like, it, it's, it's not even a Hail Mary anymore. Now it's like a percentage play, right? Maybe a year or two ago, it had a lot more risk on the financial side. But, you know, Jacksonville would be interesting because they suck and, and always need something. But at the same time, it's where Trump's going to do, you know, his, his acceptance of, of the GOP nomination. But I, I keep looking to see who's going to look at it as a business calculation. Because in my view, that's always what it is, right? The owners are going to look at it, run the numbers and say, this makes business sense for me. Now the winds have shifted in the same way Goodell has shifted now. It took, you know, the, the winds to move around him for him to finally move. I, I had a conversation with him, I think it was two years ago, three years ago, when we did a poll of, of veterans to see how they felt about the national anthem protest. And I really felt in those conversations that he was behind the curve, that he didn't understand the political dynamic around him. But I've also said before, he's kind of like a mob boss in that his job is to make everybody happy and not get knocked off, right? Like he's got to be the boss of the bosses and keep them all just happy enough so that they don't knock him out. And I feel like now more than ever, he's got that. But for the first time, the players have maybe more advantage than they've ever had, at least in, in recent times. So given all that joy, what do you think is going to happen? I know you get this question a lot. What do you think is going to happen with sports? NBA is, is now trying to do the bubble in, in Orlando. You know, MLB is, is now doing practice games. Football wants to come online. I, I honestly feel like it's like schools. They may start and then stop and then start and then stop. But the players are more powerful than the teachers union even, right? And many of them are saying, I'm going to sit. So how do you think that's going to unfold over the next couple of weeks and months, Joy? Well, I mean, it's impossible to predict anything, right? But I do think a factor, I don't think, but a factor in everything that we do in life is money, right? So these leagues need to get games on television in order to keep making money. And players know that. 
Um, we all know that it's not, it's not that I like, look, do I want sports back personally? Yes. Do I want sports back professionally? Yes. But I'm also a human being who has respect for what other human beings do. And I have some experience in a human being that I love very much being a player at one point and what he experienced and what, what would I want for him? What would I want, you know, my brother to do in this situation or think that he should do in this situation? Myself personally, I would want to play. Um, I don't have kids. It's just me. So it's obviously a very different situation for me, but we all have jobs too. You know, like I'm quarantined here in LA, not quarantined, but you know, I'm, I'm here in LA. I'd love to like go kick it with my family every other weekends, you know, but we can't, can't do that right now. And, you know, we're all making sacrifices to get through this time, both financially, mentally, emotionally, and so we're there. It's, it's going to have to be managed. Like we don't have a, we don't have a vaccine. So the world is, sun's going to come up in the morning tomorrow and we got to figure out how to deal with it. So, um, I, I, I say that with a tremendous amount of empathy for the pressure that is going to be on all these athletes, because I have anxiety as just a normal person going to my job about, you know, I don't want to get sick, obviously. Like, I'm not trying to get sick, but I have to go to work and I've got to be around other people. And then like, oh my God, like my stomach hurts a little bit. Is it over? Should I go to work? Like, it's, it's like a constant anxiety of like not wanting to get other people sick, not wanting to get sick myself. How do I live life? How do I stay mentally balanced? How do I not, you know, slip into this void of like sadness? And, and all of those players are going to have to deal with that while also realizing that if they don't play and there's no league, that's eventually going to lead to no more money and no more leaks because there's going to be massive losses that nobody can overcome. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it has to happen. Mm. But I, I think that the leagues are not being callous about the risks that athletes are taking by coming back. I think that everything is going to, is going to happen. Like baseball is going to start. Um, they're going to man, I think baseball will be able to manage it the best because they have obviously social distancing. And while there are massive squads, you know, you got the pitchers over here and like, it's just, I just, the, the dynamic of baseball will, I feel like will be easier to manage. Um, NBA, I'm, I do not, I don't know. I don't know. The situation sounds absolutely crazy to me. Um, I know they have to do it. I hope, I I'm hoping for the best. I have no idea what to predict or how it's going to look or how it's going to work. I'm just hoping that, that it works. Um, and they, they're going to do the best they can, right? Like that's what we're all doing. Um, as far as football goes, like I, they're moving forward and um, I'm hopeful and positive that season is still a couple months away. So I mean, it's approaching obviously, but it's, it, we can't predict what's going to happen with this thing tomorrow. We could wake up tomorrow and it's all gone, right? Not that simply, but you know what I'm saying? Like we don't know how this is going to work. Yeah. So I don't, I can't predict anything. I just think that we all have to keep an open mind for how things look, how things sound, just like we've been doing with any other content that we've been consuming. It's just, we're all, we're all figuring it out together. um, However much we're fighting about it, but you know, I'm optimistic. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic joy, but I'm also, you know, football is the one that worries me. I mean, you got, you know, on college teams, a hundred people in one spot, bumping into each other, grabbing each other, breathing on each other. It's, it's almost like a coronavirus nightmare sport. Right. And, but football is also the sport that's okay with risk and, and, you know, has been traditionally been attracting people who are okay with risk and a sport that's okay with risk. But, um, 
I, I don't know. I'm hopeful. And I also fear like with many other things that like eventually PPP runs out, eventually unemployment runs out, eventually the bank accounts of even NFL owners could run out and then things are going to get more extreme. And, and I don't know which leadership is going to be dynamic enough to, to survive it and which sports are going to be dynamic enough to survive it. But you've also been great about spanning culture, politics, sports, but you're a human being, you've been opinionated about many things, and this is Angry Americans, so I want to ask you the question I ask of, of all our guests. Joy Taylor, what makes you angry? Uh, currently, yeah. I, I mean, because that's, that's, I've got a lot of long lists, but currently the thing that is really making me angry is just, uh, just an extreme amount of like lazy ignorance, mm. like, willful ignorance. Um, I don't know when it became cute to stop learning stuff. Mm. And I feel like people, whether it's politics, whether it's social issues, whether it's, um, you know, gender issues, whatever it is, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. I feel like people have gotten to the space where they think they're going to be judged if they get new information and then change their opinion. It's like you're compromising who you are or something or like you're weak or you're soft because you're like, oh, I know this now. Well, I no longer feel this way. It's, it's, it's insane to me that people think that way. I don't, I don't understand it. It's not cute. It's not attractive. I don't know who told you it was. It's, it's not a sign of intelligence. Right. Like you are, not, you are not an intelligent person. If you can be presented with a fact Okay. And you see the fact, you touch the fact, this is a fact, right? And you say, well, I see this, but I'm going to choose to continue with the opinion that I had before I, before I experienced the fact, because, you know, that's just, that's just what I want to do. That makes me absolutely crazy Mm -hmm. angry because it's so easy to just learn new stuff. And you should be wanting to do that. It's why I don't watch the news because I don't want to sit here and be told, how great I am all the time. I don't want to be like, yeah, I feel that way. You feel that way too. We both feel this way. What else do we feel the same way about? Continue telling me how great I think and how, how amazing I am about what I feel. How does that make you a better person? How does that make you a better father, mother, sister, professional, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, human? It doesn't. It, it, it makes you lazy and unintelligent. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what side you're on, whether you're a conservative, you're a liberal, whatever it is that you are. And I don't, I don't care about political parties. I think it's bullshit that we only have two political parties. I think that's insane. We should have much more <laughs> options for who we can vote for and legitimately win the, 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 the seat to run our country than two, thing, two people that political parties have just basically decided that we can choose from. I think it's crazy. But that's where we are. Okay. So I don't appreciate being labeled as a liberal or conservative. Like I have different opinions about lots of things. Why do I have to fit? I'm too intelligent to be addicted to a political party. Mm. You're, you're insulting my intelligence by implying that I make my life decisions based off of what a political party Mm. tells me to do. I'm too smart for that. Please chill out. Okay. And you can make your own decisions. I'm still going to judge you, but you can make your own decisions. (laughs) Just know I'm too smart to have a group of people from a political party tell me what to think, do, and feel. So what makes me angry is that there's so much information. There's so much access to people. You're from a different place in the world than I am. I, I don't know what your experiences are. 
I have no idea what it's like to be in the military. I come from a military family. I don't know what it's like to go to war. I don't know what it's like to go to boot camp. Why do I need to have an opinion about that? All, the only opinion I can have is what has been told to me. Mm. And then I can empathize with it and fight for that and stand for what the people that I care about feel about that and have told me what they think. You know what I'm saying? And then I can make my own decisions. But if I get new information and I choose to discard that because I just want to be right, like that's some pathetic shit to me. Mm. You have a sympathetic audience here and, and a supportive audience. I think that many people share, and I think especially a younger generation shares your dissatisfaction with two options, right? Like this is an amazing country. We have so many options in sports and in food and in life and everywhere else, but we've become kind of programmed to be limited to these two options. Your answer about your anger, Joy, I think is really, really powerful and important because, um, you know, I, I take it a step further. I, 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 the president, in my view, has politicized so many things, right? And this is happening on a week where he came after Bubba Wallace, right? Like a moment where Bubba Wallace unites NASCAR, right? Like NASCAR pulls down a Confederate flag. Like all these white guys are pushing Bubba Wallace's car. It's like this moment that I frankly, never would have imagined watching NASCAR, watching sports growing up. And, and frankly, as someone who always thought NASCAR was like a Southern redneck thing until I was exposed to it, right? Until I got to do partnerships with NASCAR through the military and I got exposed to it and became a fan of Bubba Wallace. But now we've got this moment and, and you and I met um, through, you know, your support for the veterans community and, and at events for you guys were great about supporting IAVA and Fox Sports One's been great about supporting uh, the military over the years. And you were exposed to that, but he is different. So I kind of, you know, as much as you're able, I want to give you a chance as, as, as a woman growing up in this environment and trying to shape it for many young men and women and, and especially young men and women of color who are looking to you as a role model, you know, how do you break down Trump? And, and what are your views on him now as, as, as best you, you're, you know, as, more, as, as comfortable as you're sharing, Joy? Um, I mean... Look, I mean, I didn't vote for Trump. I think that's probably, that goes without saying. Uh, and my fear with Trump from the beginning was, aside from, the, you know, I didn't like how he was acting as a human being. Mm. But the, the, the appeal with Trump when he first, you know, got the nomination was, okay, he's, he's not a politician, right? We want somebody in office who's a businessman. He's not a politician. He's different. You know, these politicians are all corrupt and so I would ask people that would tell me that. I'm like, okay, like, I hear you. So let me ask you this. Just, just play the scenario out, right? You're sick. This is pre-pandemic, okay? It's like normal life. You're sick, right? And you are presented with two options. You're, you're, you're on your deathbed. Okay? In fact, you have the option of meeting with the best mechanic in the world. I mean, the best mechanic in the world. Or a bad doctor. <laughs> I bet you're going to pick the bad doctor because at least they're still a doctor, right? <laughs> right. I mean, he's the best mechanic in the world. <laughs> in the world. What is he going to do for you? Absolutely nothing because he knows how to fix cars, not humans, right? So your the odds are in your favor to go with the bad doctor. And, you know, some people will be like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And then, then they go off into whatever their original point was, right? But my point is this. Are politicians corrupt sometimes? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But I want somebody in office who understands policy, 
who understands how the government works, who understands how laws are made, who understands foreign governments and foreign government relations, who understands crisis management, mm. right? And who understands the importance of what the office of the president means, right? Because when we look at the whole scope of our government, the president doesn't make all the decisions for us. It's, we, we don't live in a dictatorship. There's a process to government, right? Now we're all out of high school now. So unless we study politics, you know, we're going to have some trouble explaining how a law is made, but we all know that there's Congress and Senate and public, like there's, there's different ways. There's mayors and there's governors and people make different decisions on different levels. It's not just what the president does, right? Cause we all pay taxes at a different level in different, mm. different states, like, right? We all get that. But for some reason, a massive amount of Americans have been brainwashed into thinking that the president just makes all the decisions for everyone. And they don't. So my, my apprehension about him from the beginning was, this is not a job you're qualified for. Mm. And there's a lot to this job. And what hurts me about what's happened to American politics is that one, the truth and facts are irrelevant. And as someone who went to college and graduated with a broadcast journalism degree, I believe very strongly in the truth. Whatever it is, whether it helps me or whether it's against me and my beliefs, the truth, really the truth, not opinion, not alternative facts, the truth mm. is paramount to a society that functions properly. And that is irrelevant anymore. The truth doesn't matter. It just can be looked at and just disregarded. Like people say alternative facts, like that's a thing. That's not a thing. Like you can't say that. And like, it's again, like, I don't think you're intelligent if you think that there's only one fact. There's opinions, but there's only one fact. And so to me, my, my opinion about everything that's happened with American politics is that, and I just think there's a lack of grace and empathy mm. and unification that I think is so necessary, even non-pandemic time, to keep our country functioning at a level where we have respect for each other. I love this country. I love my my fellow Americans, my neighbors. I love what this country means to people. I love the military. My grandfather served in the military for 30 years, command sergeant major. Most of the men in my, my family have been in the military. My sister still serves in the Air Force. My cousin still serves in the U.S. Army. My uncle served in the Army for like 25 years. It's, it's a part of who I am. But because it's a part of who I am, I am most uniquely qualified to be critical of it because mm. it's mine and it's yours. So we should want to make it better, not just sit back on our couch and pick the lint out of our belly buttons. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't my my opinion about him, I think, is like pretty clear. It doesn't it doesn't matter either way is he's not going anywhere for the next couple months. Mm. Um, I wish better for all of us. Mm. I wish that, I wish that we would stop calling each other names like liberal and conservative as if they're insults and not just our core beliefs and how we would like to vote and see things go. Mm. Um, I wish people could have conversations without immediately going to insults because the reality is like, I, I am very mean and I will hurt your feelings much, much worse <laughs> than you will hurt mine. <laughs> and that's kind of what I've, what I've run into is like, I don't have a lot of patience anymore mm. for, for that kind of like hostility, because I already know you're not really listening, you know? Mm, yeah. And um, so, yeah, so that's how I would explain 
what's going on right now. And I, I really don't know, other than voting on every single level and continuing to push the conversation forward, um, how that, that's going to take some time to fix. Joy, to, to that point, do you think players are going to come out and endorse this time? Because it is a choice, right? It's an epic choice now between Biden and whoever his running mate is versus Trump. You've got players who've said, and teams who said they won't go to the White House because they don't support Trump. And, you know, pe- people expect, nobody expects LeBron to vote for Trump, but there are players on the bubble, like when you saw Drew Brees, you know, step in it and try to fix himself. If Drew Brees decided to come out and support Joe Biden, he'd move some votes, right? And, and not him alone, but if, if enough players came out, they could move people, right? And they could move parts of the country that need to be moved. So do you think players are going to do endorsements? I mean, I, I know it's, it's, they're not a monolith, but do you expect to see a surge of that? And do you expect um, them to, to more, you know, I, I think they're probably going to run for office down the line. You know, your brother's an example of a guy who's been so involved in the community and do many, doing so many different things. But on a very basic level, do you think that they're going to cross that line and say, vote for Biden, or they're just going to sit it out and kind of do a bounce pass or be subtle about it? Um, I like that analogy. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Um, it, we're, we're in such a divided space right now, and we know how important this, this next election is. I, I don't know. I mean, LeBron endorsed Hillary, if I remember correctly. And I think there will be some, but I think the general message, the overall message will be to just go vote. Mm-hmm. I've, ne- I've never. Isn't that the cop out though, right? Isn't that the great cop out in like music and sports when people say just go vote, like it's all equal? Well, no, because I think, first of all, I think it's crazy that people don't vote. I mean, people bled and died for your rights to be able to vote. People in other countries go through whole civil wars to be able to vote. So the idea that you cannot be bothered to go vote and then complain about your current state to me is really crazy. Now, just because you don't like the candidates, that's also on you because you could campaign for a different candidate to get that nomination. So it's all within your control, right? If you believe in this democracy that we exist in. So to me, asking people to vote, really, it just makes me sad that we even have to do that. Mm. But there's also, you know, a lot of voter oppression that still exists because of systemic racism in this country. So it is something that is very important to advocate for and to make sure that people have the ability and access to go vote. But um, I don't know that anyone will vote for someone because a celebrity tells them to do that. I've never wanted to vote for someone because a celebrity endorsed them. Hmm. Uh, I voted in every presidential election since I was old enough to vote. And I think, I think what will actually be impactful aside from people endorsing Biden or endorsing Trump because I don't know how many actual votes that will really move. I think people at this point in our society have decided who they're voting for like pretty firmly. Um, so I, I don't know that it's going to really move votes, but I would like to see because a lot of people don't bother with this is for them to endorse lower level candidates, governors, mm. mayors, senators, local officials, like that. Those are the people that, people don't vote for and don't bother to do any research on. So I think if athletes really want to have a major impact on the, you know, the political landscape and changing the communities as far as the 
politicians that make decisions for them, endorsing candidates at that level and helping to you know, educate the community on what those candidates stand for will be way more impactful than the president because everyone's decided who they've voted for at this I, point. I, I think that's really smart. And I, and I really think you're right. The, the turnout is, is where many players can actually move the needle. And yeah. you assume that if, you know, if LeBron turns out his supporters, they're probably going to go to Biden nine to one anyway, right? But, you yeah. know. I, people who actually go vote is, is, the, is the message this yeah. election. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there'll be this, you know, kind of McNamara crisis of conscience moment where, I don't know, Tom Brady all of a sudden decides he's turning in his MAGA hat and he's going to endorse Biden. Like, that that might move some people. I don't know. Like, if, you know, if it moves a couple people in Pennsylvania, a couple people in Florida, you know, a couple people in Arizona and it tips the state, I don't know. But I think, I think you know, you are, you are a really important voice at a really important time. And I know that you call yourself mean. I I'm sure your enemies think so, but your fans and your advocates are constantly inspired by you and you bring energy and positivity. So I want to ask you the last question I ask everybody, Joy Taylor, what makes you happy? Uh, what makes me happy, I guess on a macro level, what makes me happy? Um, I think, I think lately what makes me happy is seeing actual change in people. I, I really didn't because of everything that we are um, dealing with and like, you know, obviously my family and my friends and all that stuff, like we know that, but like on a macro level, like what we're experiencing right now, what makes me happy is to really see people, uh, close to me or see people that I work with or see people just in general, um, growing, you know, I mean, there's been discussions about, you know, particularly race, um, and, you know, women's issues and stuff that people have been very close minded about for a very long time. And we're living in very unique times. And because we have cell phones now, people are not able to deny things that are actually happening and that have been discussed for within, you know, the black community for a very long time. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm strangely grateful for what we're all experiencing because I think, you know, not to be self-righteous because I'm, I'm a participant in this as well, but we live in a pretty selfish society right now. Like it's very all about like what we want and instant gratification. And I'm kind of an old school person. Like I believe in the process. I believe in hard work. I believe in earning things. And I also believe in once you do that, then make the path for the next person a little bit easier. And I don't just say that, I actually do that. And not that I deserve credit for that because I think that's what you should do anyway. Mm. But when I say it, I'm not just like, sound, I'm not just saying this to sound cute. Like I really believe that I want to leave this business that I'm in. And look, I don't work in some noble business, but like I want to leave this space for the next person, for the next woman, for the next man, a better space than I came into it. And I think if I think everyone should should have that in mind with everything that they do. And look, we're we're selfish by nature, right? So no one's ever going to be perfect. But what makes me happy is when people are a little bit a little bit more gen like generous and understanding of of their neighbor and not so um arrogant and egotistical because that's kind of what we've all become. Mm. And um like I said earlier, like my my position on things is to always learn and to always do better. I think like I get inspired by, so like in my house, I have pictures and like artwork of, of greats. I have Michael Jordan, I have Muhammad Ali, I have Prince, I have Whitney Houston, Freddie, Mer Freddie Mercury, Tupac, Bruce Lee. Like I, I surround myself with, with greatness energy because I want 
to be inspired every day to not be complacent. And, you know, we all watched the last dance together and everybody had their opinion about it. But my biggest takeaway from that was like, wow, being great is, is so much work. And I don't know if everyone like looked at it that way, but he worked really hard. I mean, we're calling him a bully, but he's like, he demands excellence. So I think if you demand that of yourself and you're, when you're being generous to other people and wanting to learn and wanting to hear what other people have to say, I've been seeing more of that lately, despite all the division. And that, that gives me hope that like mm-hmm. everything that's happening, what we're going through is at least for some sort of purpose. And we'll, we're not going to forget that we all went through this. That's for sure. So what did we take? What do we take from it? What kind of person did you become um, and come out on the other side of this? Like, so. I don't know if that was, that was a good answer. I don't know. <laughs> that was a great answer. That was a great answer. It was an excellent answer. I think I, I, I was, I was going to ask you, you know, what's your message for people who are struggling through hard times? Cause you've gotten to such a place that you've worked your ass off to get to. Right. And, and I think that that message of hard work and determination is really important, especially in times like this, when everybody feels kind of banged up, everybody feels, you know, like, like they're exhausted and, and they're looking, you know, you are in an important role in that people can turn on the TV and they can get information and they can get some inspiration and, you know, you're out there doing it. Right. I've been trying to celebrate in the last couple of episodes, fighters who are in the arena. And you are a fighter in the arena. And there are, you know, young men and women who are looking up to you every day, seeing you, you know, take stands and fight for positions and make your case. And I think that's really important, especially now. Um, but I, before I, I, I go to your gifts, which I'm going to go to, quick fire, right? If you had to pick, who's going to win right now, World Series, NBA Championship, Super Bowl? Oh, all um, the factors, all the factors, coronavirus, yada, yada, everything else. But if you got to, if I got to put you down into it and say, okay, where's your money going, Joy? World Series, I'm going to be lazy and say the Yankees, but good choice. All, good all choice. their sluggers are healthy, you know, sand judge, and it's a sprint. So I, I got to go with the favorites there. The NBA, I think, is completely unpredictable because it's, I mean, anything can happen. You got a few stars out and it's anyone's championship, but I'm going to go with the Clippers because that's who I picked at the beginning of the year. Yep, and they, okay. are, they have a lot of depth. Um, as far as the NFL goes, I think that will be the closest to the normal schedule and, you know, circumstances. Um, at least I'm being hopeful of that. So I, I think I'm going to go with the Ravens. I think it's, I think the, I don't think the chiefs are going to take a major step back. They are returning 20 of their 22 starters, Yep. but you know, their, their division is different now and it's very hard to repeat as uh, as champions. So I think it's Lamar Jackson's year. I'm going to go with the Ravens. And are you long on, on Brady in Tampa and Cam in, uh, in new England? I, I hate slash love Cam in New England because I'm going to be rooting for Cam, but then that, you know, takes away wins from the Dolphins, which obviously right. is frustrating. Um, as, far as, as far as Brady goes, it's the most interesting watch in the NFL this year. I can't wait to see what happens. I do think they'll make the playoffs. I, I think they might get a win in the playoffs. I, I don't think they're going to the Super Bowl or anything, but, uh, man, that would be amazing. Mm. It's going to be fun to watch. And yeah. if they can complete any seasons, right? Like that, that's where the, I think they will find a way to complete all of them. But that's why I think it's very difficult to, to predict. And do the, I mean, and, and then will the records count, right? Like how do you, like, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, everything has an asterisk, right? Everything has an asterisk this year. Part of me feels like, yes, but then also it's like, don't you deserve like the reward of winning a championship during these extreme stressful times? Like why count for any less when you've had to endure so much more than other seasons. So I, I kind of could go either way on that. 
Well, you are a champion. There, there was a line that I think Jeff Bezos said, excellence is not for everyone. I'm not normally running around quoting Jeff Bezos, but, but your, 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 your answer earlier inspired me to remember that, you know, excellence is not for everyone and it takes hard work. And I've known you, you know, from, from a distance for a couple of years now, and I've seen how hard you work and I really respect it and I appreciate it. And, you know, I think that, you know, when so many people in sports were saying, hey, we can't talk about politics. You were very matter-of-factly talking about the intersection of politics and sports in a way that was honest, because I don't think some in sports were being honest. They said, oh, we can't, you know, we're going to just put politics over here. How can you put politics over here when the president of the United States is shitting on a league every day or shitting on a player, identifying an individual, you know, union or play? So, so I don't think you can separate the two. And I don't think it's ever going back to the way it was. Like, I think politics and sports are like interwoven to stay now, I hope. And I'm, I'm comforted to know that you're going to be one of the people that helped take America through that. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for your inspiration. I'm going to give you some gifts virtually. So first off, I don't have a jersey for you, but it's some Angry Americans, super comfortable uh, Angry Americans gear. Uh, you can rock it out in L.A. in your pandemic or when you're rocking out to Prince, uh, made by the veterans of Oscar Mike. And nice. then a, uh, a tradition on this show that you may not be aware of is – we always send peeps. And ever since the beginning, because we started around Easter, I ask every guest to select a color of peeps. It's kind of a Rorschach test for our guests. But if you had to pick Joy Taylor, yellow, blue, or pink, which color would you choose and why? Um, I love peeps. My initial thought is pink. I'm pretty sure I usually eat the pink, the pink peeps. So I'm going to go with pink. But this is almost a Miami Dolphins blue. Yeah, and I was thinking like the blue... The blue kind of matches the blue shirt that you're giving me, yeah. but the pink this is ones. Like when they the trick out the when they trick out the jerseys and they do that like super futuristic jerseys. This is oh, like yeah. the way they dial up the Miami Dolphins jerseys, right? Well, I got the pink glow going on behind me, so the pink ones look tastier. I'll go with the pink ones. And then lastly, uh, I'm, uh, this is not a full bottle, but I'm going to send you a full bottle because I drank a little bit of this one. But this is <laughs> Uncle Uncle Nearest Whiskey, who has been a big supporter of this show. Uncle Nearest, named after Nearest Green, who taught Jack Daniels how to make alcohol, how to make whiskey. Uh, he was the first African-American master distiller in America. Jeffrey Wright introduced us to this stuff, and we're going to send you some of that. that, awesome. they, that. It's, not, it's not tequila. Uh, or uh, whiskey every once in a while. It's not Mike's Hard Lemonade or tequila or box of wine or fancy <laughs> wine, but we'll, we'll get you some of that. But Joy, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you for being on Angry Americans. Thank you for being in the arena. Really, you're out there mixing it up every day. And as someone who is making you know a transition in the, into the media space, I'm inspired by you. And I know many other folks as well. So keep up the fight. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for picking the Yankees, and I hope you can stay frosty out there in L.A. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to be on the show. Best of luck with the podcast. You're doing great things. And um, thank you to all the veterans listening. Thank you for your service. Um, like I said, I come from a military family, so I appreciate it very much. And uh, stay safe, everybody. Thanks, Joy. There's plenty of reason to be angry. Now for everyone, everywhere, especially without sports. But sports can be a way to turn it, a way to channel it, a way to harness it. And there's always a way to make an impact, a way to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony into positive impact. 
it's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. For me, growing up, sports was always an outlet for all that emotion and everything I was going through. In every show, I offer a way of converting your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, and makes a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. Give me your hand. Vanessa Guillen deserves justice. I've talked about it for the last two episodes, and the hashtag is justice for Vanessa Guillen. Fort Hood soldier Vanessa Guillen was bludgeoned to death with a hammer before she was dismembered. She'd been missing since April, and she was killed and mutilated by fellow soldier Aaron Robinson, a 20-year-old specialist who died by suicide last week as officers approached him. Robinson's girlfriend, Cecily Aguiar, told authorities he confessed to repeatedly striking Vanessa in the head with a hammer, killing her on April 22nd in Fort Hood. They disposed of her body and mutilated her remains. They tried to burn her body, and they tried to remove all evidence of her existence. Investigators discovered Vanessa's remains in a shallow grave near the Leon River 20 miles east of Fort Hood. It didn't have to be this way. Vanessa stepped forward. Vanessa needed help. Vanessa didn't get the help she deserved. She didn't get the help that she should have gotten. We can't bring Vanessa back, but we can bring her justice. And we can protect others in the military who are facing the same situation. Some in Congress are stepping up. At last count, over 87 colleagues have joined Representative Sylvia Garcia. She's a member of Congress from Texas's 29th. And she's supporting Representative Speer and Senator Gillibrand, requesting that the Department of Defense Acting Inspector General conduct an independent investigation into Fort Hood's handling of the specialist Vanessa Guillen case. Call your member of Congress today. Email your member of Congress today and demand justice for Vanessa Guillen. Tell them you want a full investigation and you want action taken. And you can go a step further. Use the hashtag Justice for Vanessa Guillen, and you can join the National Women Veterans and Service Women sign-on letter. There's a grassroots effort organized by women veterans, service women, and supporters to demand justice for Vanessa Guillen. In solidarity with the Guillen family, calling for a congressional investigation into her disappearance, the resignation of every person in her chain of command at Fort Hood, including the commanding general, the shutting down of Fort Hood, and a halt to all enlistments in the military until justice is served. You can sign the open letter that will be delivered to congressional leaders and the Department of Defense leadership by women veterans and service women who demand justice. My friend and colleague Kristen Rouse, the founder of the New York City Veterans Alliance and other key leaders are out in front of this and they need your support. And more importantly, Vanessa's family needs justice. Check out the hashtag justice for Vanessa Guillen or look on the Angry Americans Facebook page or on Twitter. The military is a team effort and all of Americans are on the same team, and that means leaving no teammate behind. Join us in demanding justice for Vanessa Guillen and making true change. If you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry, be active. 
right, everybody. Packed episode again, and more and more people are listening every episode. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for sharing support, especially on social media. We've been on fire, and we continue to top the charts. We are staying in the top 50 of U.S. political podcasts. We have moved up 67 places to number 10 in the Netherlands. And apparently, we got up to number 12 in New Zealand. Great job on the virus, by the way, New Zealand. I am excited that you have beaten the virus, and I am excited to see the great All Blacks rugby team back in action soon. I had the honor of seeing them play once in Argentina a long, long time ago. But America's Rugby Championship, a six-nation event featuring the top teams from North America and South America, will not be staged due to the coronavirus. But there hopefully will be rugby soon in New Zealand and Australia and hopefully in the U.S., But the America's Rugby Championship that includes Canada, the U.S., Chile, Uruguay, Brazil, and Argentina has been canceled. It was supposed to happen in August and September, but that's out. So no rugby over here. But speaking of rugby powerhouses, Ireland. We made the charts in Ireland. Angry Americans has been as high as number 14 in Ireland. So thank you to all of our Irish friends. And we are staying strong in Ecuador. After hitting number one, we're staying in the top 40. And some new international news. We are number six in Lithuania, a place I have been. An interesting and fascinating place that is apparently full of angry Americans and angry Lithuanians. So my thank you to everybody in Lithuania for all your support, because apparently we hit number one in Lithuania. We hit number one in Ecuador. We hit number one in Lithuania. And the angry Americans community continues to grow worldwide. So my thanks to all of you. And my thanks to a few folks that made this episode happen. Most of all, Joy Taylor. Joy Taylor is a one-of-a-kind special person. She is very generous with her time and her energy and supports so many good causes and mentors so many people. And she is the co-host of The Herd. Watch it every weekday, 12 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Subscribe to her awesome podcast, Maybe I'm Crazy. And check out Joy's live chat every Wednesday at 3.30 p.m. on Caffeine. But you can follow her on Twitter. You can follow her on Instagram and check out everything she does. Also, check out her brother's foundation, the Jason Taylor Foundation. Joy's a big supporter of that foundation and their mission is to support and create programs that help personal growth and empowerment of South Florida kids. This is needed especially now with how hard Florida is getting hit. They focus on improved health care, education, and quality of life. Since they opened their doors, the Jason Taylor Foundation has contributed nearly $6 million in programs and services to benefit the youth down there in South Florida. Check them out at jasontaylorfoundation.com. That's jasontaylorfoundation.com, the great Jason Taylor, who wore the great number 99 that I also wore long ago in a galaxy far, far away. But my thanks to Joy, my thanks to her whole team and to her whole family, and thanks to the Righteous Media team, Mighty Mercy Rich, who's always bringing the heat, creative Chris Rosenthal, who is an amazing backstop on all our things, graphics and design and video, and the fantastic Bill Schultz, who is like the Casey Stangle of this podcast. He makes it sound amazing. He makes it possible and he makes it happen. My biggest thanks to Bill Schultz. Thanks to our supporters from Bravo Sierra. If you haven't already, check them out at bravosierra.com. And our friends at Uncle Nearest Whiskey. Check out Uncle Nearest Whiskey for some of the best damn whiskey you'll ever try. And a hell of a story. 
My thanks also to our new Patreon members and our current Patreon members and our future Patreon members. The vigilant, the very vigilant, the most vigilant. Look for Angry Americans on Patreon. I've been sharing looks behind the scenes in my garage. I've been sharing exclusive videos on guests that are coming up. And if you are a member of our Patreon community, you knew that Joy Taylor was our guest before anyone else. So if you join our Patreon community, you will know in advance who our guests are. And I'll share lots of other cool information. You'll also get goodies, videos before we post them, and you'll get to support independent media, which has never been more important than it is right now. Your support helps us stay on stories like the VA hydroxychloroquine stuff. It helps us keep national defense stuff in the news. It helps us support first responders and to recognize the helpers whenever we can. So thanks to all of you and to our newest Patreon members, especially Brian Mao. Mark Wortman and Lisa Lamb, our three newest members of the Patreon crew. Welcome, Brian, Mark, and Lisa. Thanks for having our back. You were helping us support media that speaks truth to power in critical times. A couple other quick thank yous. I want to thank Katie Turr at MSNBC. She was subbing for Chuck Todd on Meet the Press Daily and had me on the show to talk about the latest on the Russian bounties and everything else. So I appreciate Katie taking the time to focus on that news. Thanks to my old friend Brian Williams. He had me on the 11th hour. We had a great and powerful conversation about the latest news and he was sure enough to recognize the 69 Camaro that was in the shot so my thanks to brian williams speaking of the camaro my thanks to richard french longtime anchor and great guy from the regional news network it's a regional network that goes to many states on the east coast and across america he's had me on his show for many years and he had me on the day before july 4th and i had a very special visitor check this out we're having a conversation right now about renaming military bases the president's threatened to withhold funding overall funding the defense department and obviously the military needs even though it seems that leadership military leadership seems willing to address some of the names of some of these bases for confederate leaders even that the time has come to rename them it just is striking to me people tend to think that the military is the most conservative outfit that we have but they seem more open-minded to address some of these things than even the commander-in-chief Look, I'm, I'm smiling, Richard, because my four-year-old is behind <laughs> me. This is one of those live television moments. <laughs> I hear you. But, but here's the real deal. You know, th- this is why we do this kind of work for our kids, right? Our kids, our kids are watching. Our kids are looking for a command. Yes, our kids are looking for a commander-in-chief who will be an example uh, and who won't politicize the military, won't put us in harm's way. And unfortunately, with Donald Trump, that's what we've got consistently. And everybody thinks the name should be changed. We shouldn't name bases after traitors, after racist traitors. And that's what we've got. Those are the bases we served at. And and, and our children are watching. That's the bottom line here. We need a commander-in-chief they can be proud of. Thank you, buddy. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, as you've been doing that, Paul, I just now finally can see what you look like with a full head of hair uh, back in the day here. (laughs) I look at mini me. Hey, Paul, I I appreciate it, man. I know this has got many more layers still to come. You and your kid have a good fourth. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All the best and happy Fourth of July to everybody out there. Say happy Fourth of July, Ryder. Happy Fourth of July. (laughs) Way to redeem yourself, little man. Thank you. Yep. 
I was that guy on YouTube who had his kid crashing the interview. Ryder made his very first appearance on TV. He is now the youngest national security and veterans analyst in America, and he is an aspiring muscle car expert. So my thanks to Richard and his whole team for rolling with the punches, and my thanks to Ryder for making an appearance and bringing it back down to what's most important. Our kids are watching, and sometimes they're literally watching on camera in the room. And you're always watching, so it's time for Thank a Listener. Every week, I want to thank a few angry Americans just for listening. And I will make you famous. I'll make you famous. Please call, tweet, post on social, and we will make you famous. Go to angryamericans.us or find us on social media and do it. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. Like Swish Davila. Swish Davila, who tweets at Swish Nanigans. I believe Swish is in Buffalo, who is a big supporter of the Bills Mafia and the Not My Kid Pod and Resist. Love is a verb. Now act. And Swish tweeted this week, my new favorite way to get through the workday. Follow Angry Americans if you don't already. Great pod, super relevant, stand-up guy at the helm. Thank you, Swish. I appreciate that. A lot of stand-up guys and gals out there that support this show, and you are one of them. And I am really excited to thank someone new, someone special, someone I grew up on, someone I have always been inspired by, and someone who is truly an angry American. D. Snyder. Yes, the legendary D. Snyder of Twisted Sister tweeted at me after our last episode. He retweeted my tweet about the Russian bounty story and hoping that it wouldn't go out of the news. And he wrote, people do not let this go. Putin is still paying money for dead Americans. Nothing has changed. That's my really bad D. Snyder. But that tweet made my day. So if you're listening, my thanks to D. Snyder. I will always remember the day I saw my first Twisted Sister video. And I am often tuning into House of Hair. I listen to it on WPDH FM 101.5. And I'll be listening again per usual this weekend. My thanks to D. We're right. We're free. We'll fight. You'll see. And D had a great tweet talking about how many jerks there are leading countries all around the world. D's obviously been all around the world. He has fans all around the world. And he tweeted, it's like somebody has an asshole machine and they are stamping out duplicate presidents and prime ministers. But hearing from D. Snyder made my day. I will always remember the day I first saw D. Snyder and the Twisted Sister video. And I will be tuning into House of Hair on WPDH 101.5 FM per usual. D, I appreciate you. I hope you'll join us, man. Would love to have you on this show. We're right. We're free. We'll fight. You'll see. Right, man? But I love the feedback. I like it. I love it. Keep it coming. And as always, thanks to my family, my amazing wife and two boys, Ryder is learning chores. This is a hard thing, but he is working on it, and he's learning to earn things, which is another process. Uh, He's learning to do things like put away his dishes and make sure to wipe his butt 
and do 100 push-ups. Not in a day, but he wants a new truck. He wants a new Tonka steel truck because he loves trucks and being in the dirt. So he's got to put away his dishes. He's got to consistently wipe his butt, and he's got to do 100 push-ups. <laughs> That's the deal, man. Welcome to summer in the Rykoff house during the pandemic. And big news, in that Rykoff house, we have another robin egg. Same nest outside our window, but a new egg. And only one this time, not three like last time. I don't know if it's the same mama bird or not, but it's an awesome surprise. So I put it out to our social media crew and I said, does anybody have any bird expertise that they want to share? So my thanks to Tanya Koala, our old friend Tanya. She said it looks like a robin's egg. And if it's the mom's second time this season, you may only get one egg. She usually lays one a day, and subsequent nests after the initial are usually only two. Usually the most is four in a nest. She'll sit on them for 12 to 14 days, and you should have baby birds. So we will have a baby bird. I will keep you all updated on the latest from the bird's nest here in the undisclosed location, where I've been listening to a lot of Neil Young lately. The older I get, the more I appreciate him. And I've also been listening to a ton of Radio Woodstock, which I have recommended before and I recommend again. And Radio Woodstock's been playing a song that I want to share with you that I adore. Through the highs and lows, baby, I got you, yeah. And you got me, yeah, baby, I got you, yeah. And you got me, yeah. It's by the great Michael Franti, who I love. Uh, he also has a song called This World Is So Fucked Up, But I Ain't Never Giving Up On It. Uh, but he's got a new album out now called Work Hard and Be Nice. He's doing a stay-at-home concert world tour, and he has the Stay Human podcast. I'm a huge fan of Michael Franti. If you don't know his music, check it out. It will bring you some positivity and some inspiration in all the four eyes during this pandemic and during this summer. Uh, and I got to actually hang with Michael Franti many years ago at the Sundance Film Festival in 2006. I was there for a film called When I Came Home that was a documentary about uh, homeless vets. Uh, and it was a very weird experience for me just a couple years out of the Army and being at the fabled Sundance Film Festival. And I was there with a great crew and we had a great film. So my shout out to Michael Franti, but also to Patricia Folkrod, the director, to Rob Acosta, Sean Hughes and Harold Noel. We were just young vets at Sundance, and Michael Franti was super cool. He was as cool as you'd hope. And I don't know if he's a sports fan, but he's a guy I'd want on my team. So this song is the Rykoff family unofficial song of 2020 summer, and I hope it can be our Angry Americans unofficial song of 2022. It brings me some joy, and I hope it brings the same for you. Because no matter what happens in sports, no matter how hot it gets, no matter how stressful it gets, stay frosty out there. That's what Michael Franti would do. And please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. It is free. And if you are on an Apple device, please leave the show a quick review. Subscribe now and have it hot and fresh and waiting for you every Thursday. I know we were late last week. We've been late before. I'm trying to get them out on Thursday. Um, so look for them late on Thursday. Follow us on social media for updates. Worst comes to worst, they'll be there Friday morning. But please leave a review and share. And keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. And go to angryamericans.us for video of my interview with Joy Taylor, my interview with Willie Geist, and all of our recent interviews via Zoom. 
We're still in the garage, and we are adapting, improvising, and overcoming until then. We're keeping it real. I don't have a fancy mansion with a nice bookcase. We got the Camaro and the whiskey and the garage and you. So stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. And we will keep this movement growing week by week by week. Share it with one friend. Share it with one friend in honor of the one egg that the robin laid outside our door. And for now, enjoy the baseball. Enjoy the golf, enjoy the basketball, and the summer as best you can. Because it's okay to be angry, especially now. And no, you're not alone. We're all a little angry. That's because we're paying attention. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. Stay frosty. And go Yanks! Go Yanks!